It's the next level. Warning. The following podcast may contain spoilers. Listener discretion is advised. Get in! Any messages while we were gone? You missed calls from Barry Allen, Oliver Queen, and Cara Zorrell. Sounds like the annual crossover. Welcome, Primers, once again into this episode 127 of the DC Primetime Podcast. And boy, is this going to be a fun one. First and foremost, though, from the Next Level Podcast Network, uh, from the showcast on the Next Level Podcast Network, I am Ben Beck. And from the Caffeine Crew cast of Pods, I am Rob Martin. Yeah, this is... um. We have two things to talk about this week. Only two. But one of them is pretty massive. Yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, I, and not to mention it is going to reshape everything. Uh, and we'll get that into that stuff near the end of the episode because, man, oh, man, there's too many fan theories to even kind of think about this at this point. And in time. we even have some of our own, which is going to make things very interesting. I've, I have a theory as to what's going to happen in the future of these series. And I've posted it on a couple threads and some people are digging it. So uh, I'll be interested to hear your thoughts of it when we get to that point. Sure. But yeah, we have the Legends of Tomorrow season, uh, mid-season finale to talk about. And then, of course, the one thing that I know we're both looking forward to, Elseworlds has come and gone. And man, so much good stuff coming out of uh, coming out of this year's crossover. Oh, yeah, it was um, honestly, I think one of the it, without a question, the best crossover they have ever done um, without question. I mean, there, there's no part of me that is even. What I was like, well, maybe Invasion or Crisis on uh, Crisis on Earth X is like a little bit better. Not at all. This was top dog by leaps and bounds. We 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 agree t- on that. But I know I've been reading some you know comments and such on Facebook and and things. And I know some friends of mine had some criticisms over a couple things, and we'll address them a little bit. But and I've seen a couple people say like, no, this was nothing compared to um, Invasion and Crisis on Earth X. I'm like, really. Are you kidding? Like, did you watch the same thing we did? <laughs> well, again, it's always a matter of opinion. Again, we're only giving ours. So true. But we put it out there to the Facebook page as well. Facebook.com slash DC primetime to see what our listeners thought uh, and what our, you know, the people who liked the page thought. And for the most part, I'd say it's like 97% of the people that, you know, answered gave it anything from like an eight, nine or 10. Yeah. Uh, I, I think maybe I think there was one person and I'm not going to call anybody out, but I mean, there was one person I think who gave it like a five and I that well, they, was they only... kind of questioned things by the end of your thread with them. So, <laughs> yeah, they did. I mean, and that was only after part one. So, right, you know, right. I, they probably changed their opinion by the end of part three. 
But uh, yeah, so we have the Legends uh, finale to talk about. We have Elseworlds, and but we're going to do Legends first because we want to get that. Uh, we want to show it its proper attention, but we want to get it out of the way because we know there's a lot that we're going to talk about when it comes to Elseworlds this week. Mm-hmm. So um, yeah, I think for, I guess we can probably just dive right into it. Yeah, let's do it. Uh, well, let's. We got to give our. We'll we'll give our scores and then we'll. Yeah, I mean, for those of you that are new to the podcast, welcome um, to being a new listener. And for um, those of you who aren't, uh, just to refresh you of the format of the podcast, first and foremost, we'll go through each of the episodes and we'll give it our one to. Uh, we'll give it a one to three point ranking of sidekick, hero, or legend. Sidekick being the worst, legend being the best. And then we will go back and we'll break down the episodes. Although, do we want to do each individual episode of Elseworlds or do do we just want to cover Elseworlds as a whole? I think Elseworlds as a whole because I think the section that I thought had the the most lacking was maybe part two uh, up until near the midway point once they're uh, in Gotham. But I think in the grand scheme of things, it's because it's a middle part of a story. And I think it's really hard to break that down into three separate reviews. So let's just keep it as a whole. Okay, yeah, I, I agree with that. But I mean, I do agree with your episode two, maybe the weakest of the three. uh, But that that really is not saying much because no, there, no, there is a lot that came out of that part two and a lot of great fun stuff that came out of there. So, uh, all right, so let's do legends obviously. And then we'll do Elseworlds as a whole. And we'll, we'll start first with the legends mid season finale season four, episode eight legends, <laughs> legends to meow, 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 which is a fantastic title, uh, sidekick hero or legend from you this week. Uh, it's getting a legend. I think they did a really, really good job. This reminded me a lot of the Zari episode from last season where she's kind of stuck in the loop. But that was one of my favorite episodes then. It was great to see them play with so many ideas. And we got a couple fun vignettes that happened that were just laugh after laugh after laugh. But still setting up a big ramification for what's to come this year. And I think it was perfect. Yeah, it's a legend for me as well. I mean, you're right. And I didn't even actually until you said it at this point, I didn't even really compare the two that it is very similar to that Zari episode from last season. And I I was right there with you that I was a big fan of that one as well. So, yeah, even so thinking about it in that way, I, I think even gives it a bigger legend because that was just so much fun. And this one, I think you and I think I was messaging you as I was watching it. And I was just like, yeah, I just got to this part. And I just got to this part. And this was just a lot of fun. So, um, yeah, I feel like it's kind of the only downside to Legends this week. And it has nothing to do with the episode is I feel like it's kind of overshadowed a little bit because of Elseworlds. Yeah, I think that was the downside for me was well, – yeah, uh, it's – Elseworlds was so huge, and to have an episode that was – even though it's a mid-season finale, it's setting up a ton, and you're, it's a lot of heartache and heartbreak, and it was a it was a great mid-season finale. There's no question about it. You're right. It gets overshadowed by something as big as what – Elseworlds was. Yeah. I mean, I think it would have almost made more sense if you could have timed it properly so that – legends wrapped last week uh and then elseworlds aired so that it wasn't overshadowed but that's i mean you look at the fact that it's over the course of this week legends is a 42 minutes of of show if you take out commercials elseworlds is two hours and six if you take out commercials i've watched elseworlds three times i've only watched legends once 
And it's not to say that I didn't love Legends because, again, I gave it a legend. But, yeah, it, I think that was the only issue this week is that it was overshadowed by Elseworlds. Yeah, I think there's nothing wrong with saying that because I think all the fans of Legends of Tomorrow would agree with that. But I think the positive is because Elseworlds was so big and so huge and everybody was talking about it nonstop. It could have brought more eyes to that show this week. And that's the hope. So, yeah, especially considering um, that we we man, that Legends cameo in uh, Elseworlds was one I was not expecting. That was phenomenal, <laughs> and, was, and we'll bring up we'll bring up some stuff with that later because uh, a couple eagle-eyed fans have, have noticed a, a small thing or two during all of that. Okay, so. uh, but yeah, and, you know, talking about Elseworlds, I think it's no question what we're giving it this week. But uh, just to make it official, Elseworlds sidekick hero or legend? Legend by you know leaps and bounds. Again, this one went to eleven. Yeah, I, I agree with you completely. I was telling, uh, as I was telling you before we started recording, um, I don't usually take notes on things now. I just kind of shoot from the hip when it comes to everything. But there was so much that went into Elseworlds, just from like fun little nods to, uh, you know, things for the future and things that it was fun to see. That I, I literally have three pages of just bullet point stuff just for Elseworlds alone, and those were things I wrote down on my third viewing. My first two, I just my first two I, were just my geek out moments of watching. Oh, I mean, honestly, episode two has probably the most nods and little tip offs of other things. It was so just fun, 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 fun. Yeah. All right. Well, yeah. Let's but, go through Legends <laughs> and then we can start geeking out in full. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but again, the Legends midseason finale, season four, episode eight, Legends to Meow Meow. After Constantine breaks the cardinal rule, he, Charlie, and Zari try to deal with the ramifications without telling anyone else. So obviously a follow-up last week was part one of the midseason finale. This week, the, the part two, the continuation of that. And where we left off last week was Constantine had changed time, uh, you know, to fix his own history, which really did a number on the timeline. And, uh, you know, we got a number of different ways that this, that this occurred. We, and, but the way it was portrayed in this episode of being seventies TV shows, I thought one was absolutely brilliant. And two, at the same time was just so much fun to watch. Oh, my God, it was ridiculous and ludicrous and wonderful. And it's it's in the way that only Legends of Tomorrow can pull off and not make you be like, this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. It makes you <laughs> it makes you happy. It, it, it makes you smile and just enjoy these characters even more because everything that happened, it fit those characters to the T. And it was so much fun. Yeah, I'm trying to remember exactly what the show what what did they what did. Because the, um, the if we go through, I think there are there were multiple different versions of the timeline in this, but I think there was two or three main ones with one or two other little nods in between. Because uh, every time they would go back to the to you know the time bureau, somebody else had died in some other event, so they had to continue going on. But and in the same way, like this was very reminiscent of the Zari episode from last season. This to me also kind of felt a little bit like the flash 100th 
because the Flash 100th, you know, it was such a clever way to go back in time and revisit all these different moments from the past seasons of The Flash. This kind of went back to all these different episodes of this season. Uh, you know, we got the revisit of the unicorn. We got the revisit of fairy godmother, uh, and then a, a couple other nods at the same time. So I, it was a more condensed version of what the Flash did in the Flash 100th. But Legends kind of did the same thing this time. No, it really, really, really did. Uh, yeah, and like I said, and as I mentioned beforehand, it, this was kind of like I said, it was the here I go again Zari episode. It was yeah. basically the next piece of something like that. But I, I will say this is hands down the most bonkers I think we've ever seen Legends ever. <laughs> oh, yeah. I don't yeah. even think that's a question in, in my mind one bit. Um, but yeah, the, the different versions of the characters, I'm trying to remember what the first one was. It was the, what was it? The uh, oh, It was the one with Nate, Ray. Yeah, and, Nate, Ray, and Mick. And Mick. Uh, were, uh, they ju- were they just killed all the magical people? They didn't even capture him. Do you remember what the show was retitled as? No, and that's what I'm trying to remember. I can't. I I can't remember it for the life. Something of something of chronology. I I can't. Ah, oh, it's driving me nuts. <laughs> yeah, that's what I can't remember. It's what what they're doing. Um, I I remember the second one, which is the all female version, which was um, it was Sarah, Ava, and Gideon, and and Gideon. That's right, in human form, uh, and they were the SOS. I do remember that, but I don't remember what SOS stands for. Oh, my God. We're, we're just, just batting a thousand right now. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to uh, – yeah, I'm actually trying to bring it up to to see as we're talking about this. And – but yeah. yeah, then, of course, we have DC's Puppets of Tomorrow. So. Which, oh, my God, was just fantastic. And, you know, getting to see all of them – in puppet form and, you know, treating it almost like a Sesame Street episode, which <laughs> was just like a blast to watch. Oh, uh, yeah. No. Oh, go ahead. Sorry. No, I, I was just going to say pretty much. I mean, there, uh, they did a lot of fun things with this episode. But by the end of this episode, because this is very much while it, it does involve everyone in the Legends of Tomorrow this episode to me more than anything else was a huge focus on John, on John Constantine. And what I really, something I had already known at this point, you and I had both already known at this point, but something I really think this episode put a focus on is the fact that more than ever, John fits on this show. Oh, phenomenally. This, there's no question in my mind now that after they're done with this season, if they do get another season, which uh, you and I love this show, so I really hope they do. Um, I hope he stays. I hope he sticks around somehow. I don't. I don't know if he will because of this whole, you know, he didn't want to time travel. But I think he might be getting around those issues now. So I'm hoping somehow, one way or another, they find a way to keep him around. Yeah. No. I, I'm. I'm pretty sure they're going to find a way to make sure he is indeed. Um, part of the mix so i hope so because i mean it's again uh, kudos to matt ryan because i mean he pulls i i don't get me wrong i i was okay with the keanu reeves version of the character um uh, there's nobody else who could play this character better than matt at this point 
No, no, not at all. I mean, it's interesting, too. When you watch the credits of the show, it always does still say guest starring Matt Ryan. It does. Uh, which is interesting. Oh, and uh, your answer is it's the Sirens of Space. That, okay. And then the Custodians of the Chronology. Okay. The, that was the other one. <laughs> okay. So. Yeah. So that answers that question. So we both won't be, like, half talking as we're searching through Google. <laughs> so. Oh, I had I actually have the episode playing in the background right now. I was waiting for it to get to that point. Yep. No. So we have the custodians of the chronology, which is the uh, the blatant A team ripoff. Yes. Uh, and then the sirens of space, which was Charlie's Angels. Angels. Yeah. yeah. So. Uh, but yeah, no, this um, I, I think in the grand scheme of things, though, I was there any big pieces for you that really, really jumped out um, to kind of start it off? Because obviously we, we see, you know, Zari, Charlie and well, uh, Zari cat. <laughs> yes. And, uh, or uh, again, Mrs. Norris is if you listen to last episode from uh, Harry Potter. <laughs> That's right. Uh, but yeah, it's, it was so much fun to watch Charlie and, and John try to figure out if there's anything they could do to kind of preserve what they want versus caring about history. And they both kind of get to a point where they both kind of give up and they're like, there's no way in hell we're, we're going to allow this to go back to the way it was because of everything that's going to happen to us. It's John not being able to deal with the heartache or, the, you know, of, of losing Des. And then it, Charlie's big thing was she wanted her powers back. She didn't want to be stuck into a body. Uh, it was that fear of death was the, this the big thing for her that she just couldn't comprehend, but it was really fun watching them just constantly just finding ways to repair things. Cause it showed the hero side of them all. But it, there was a line that comes very late in the episode where Zari makes that comment. It's like it's kind of a rite of passage for somebody on the team to screw up the timeline in one way, shape or form. And I think that was the best nod. It's kind of like, no, you guys are really legends. That's what this episode told me more than anything else. Regardless of anything that they do, this was this was their kind of final initiation to become a legend. And I thought that was a really kind of cool and touching way to handle this episode. Yeah, I mean, especially considering I, I think we're going to have Charlie for a good amount of time. And, uh, you know, it's funny that you, you bring up that line because Zari mentions you know, it's kind of a rite of passage. As you make the comparison to that episode from last season, she made the reference to that episode herself, which I thought yeah. which which I thought was a lot of fun. It was kind of one of two very meta moments for this show. Um, and I think I think having Zari being kind of their guide through this was the the smartest move uh, this show could have made, because I know a lot of people that didn't come around on her character a ton until here I go again from last year. So having her being the one that kind of work alongside them through all of this was the perfect call, uh, because we got to see the the original core cast that's still around or the cast that's been around since season two um, get to play and have a lot of fun where you allowed the two new characters essentially and Zari do the heavy lifting this week. And it allows you to connect to those characters deeper and deeper. And I think that was the best way to, uh, to handle this. So yeah. Because really, really excited in the way that they wrote and like, and, and drafted this episode out. Yeah. Because if you didn't already consider her a full fledged member of the team, I think by the end of this episode, you consider them both uh, full fledged members of the team. Like you going forward. I don't think there's a question now as to uh, whether or not they belong on this ship. Yeah. I mean, no, absolutely. Yeah. And John was an instant. I mean, the moment they brought John into it, that was, there was no question in my mind. He belonged on that ship, but it, you know, even though John's one of the newest members of the crew, uh, even more than Zari or, you know, it, it's, you know, cause Zari's not the rookie anymore. And J you know, John was the rookie afterwards. And then now Charlie is the newest. So Charlie is the rookie, but 
you know, John was instantly taken in. Zari was still a question, and Charlie was still, you know, working her way in. But I think by the end of this midseason finale, none of them can be considered rookies anymore. Not at all. And I think that was perfect. And, and again, they definitely achieved that goal completely while continuing to make us laugh in the way that only I think legends can. This was the next best thing you could do to having the ridiculousness of the giant Bebo from the end of last year. Yes. I mean, how do you top something like that? And this was proof that you said, well, you can keep playing in any way you want to. And because of the way that they already work with, you know, classic characters, the idea of taking that instead of a classic character show concept ideas and blending them into this is something completely different worked just as well as saying, Hey, last week we brought in Marie Laveau, you know, last year we saw George Lucas, all these things. This is that next evolution of legends of tomorrow to say, if they want to screw up the timeline and give us things like this, man, just keep doing it. I'm fine with it because it works just as well as when you bring in historical characters. Yeah. I mean, and and I mentioned earlier too, about how it might've played out better if legends had wrapped last week and and not gone up against elseworlds. But at at the same time, I feel like it was almost kind of fitting because while elseworlds was rewriting destiny, legends was playing with a, with the same kind of theme in that they were rewriting time. So, you know, while we were getting multiple versions of different characters during elseworlds, we were also getting it on legends. So it, it kind of did match along Elseworlds kind of appropriately by airing this week at the same time. And I think it was really smart, too, because even with the time changes, it, because it was meant to be in such a short amount of time as a couple of months when they're dealing with post the unicorn attack. Um, these characters have not played with the rest of the Arrowverse at all. So even them changing time does not impact any of the other things that were happening on Flash or Supergirl or Arrow, which was really smart. That was the one thing that they were really able to get away with, that even though they screwed up the timeline over and over and over, none of it would have impacted the rest of the Arrowverse as that was happening. Yeah. That was perfectly, perfectly designed. Yeah, because a lot of the things that the Legends have been doing at this point are well before any of the events of Elseworlds. Well, well, no, we know that this happens during Elseworlds, though, too, which is – but, like, again, they're handling uh, mystical characters and creatures, which we know – do not impact anything that was happening in the current rest of the Arrowverse. Well, but I, but, but I also mean that you wouldn't, any of the events that happened in Elseworlds wouldn't have affected the Legends because other than being at the Time Bureau, any time the Legends went to was in the past. Yeah. So anything that happened in the future or anything that happened currently wouldn't have affected, you wouldn't have seen any of those effects from, you know, Woodstock or, you know, Salem Witch Trials or things like that. Yeah, correct. Yeah, so that's what I mean. Like, you wouldn't have seen, you wouldn't have noticed the effects of Elseworlds, even if it did affect the Legends, you would have never seen those effects when they were in the past. Right, this wasn't like a ripple in the same way that something like Flashpoint was. These were a lot of more, as they always put it, the small anachronisms that kind of carry over. It's like, hey, there's a weird serial nail, and hey, uh, a whole bunch of hippies died at Woodstock. Uh, And now people view that as a big massacre versus a celebration of peace and love and music. It's things that wouldn't have come up in conversation. So I think it, yeah, everything touched base perfectly fine. I will say my, my line of the week, and I, I'm sure I, everybody's already heard it. And I think you and I have already talked about it was the moment in the start of the <laughs> custodians of chronology. Uh, when we hear Gideon come over to the comms and talking to <laughs> Nate, Yep. It's just like, uh, Mr. Haywood, you have missed phone calls from Barry Allen, Oliver Queen, and Kara Zorrell. And it's like, ah, 
must be the annual crossover. Yes. Oh, yeah. As I, so and they're like, yep, pass. I, I felt that was very fitting to be the line of the week this week because it would have been oh, almost was, impossible to pick one from Elseworlds. Oh, yeah. But this that was, I think, perfect was the the disregard of their involvement was uh, the twisted versions of their characters in the timeline to say, like, nope, we're not doing that. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the more I think about it, though, I, I think we could kind of tie in Elseworlds to this a little bit in that there is a version of these characters that we see in Elseworlds. And we'll get into this a little bit more, uh, you know, in part three of Elseworlds, we do see a world or that has been rewritten where almost heroes have become villains and, or at least worse versions of themselves. And that is kind of where the final timeline is before everything is fixed. That kind of is where everything falls with with the legends i mean we do see a moment where ray and mick are uh yeah where ray and mick are pretty much about to kill john um and we see a like a version of sarah that is just a horrible version of sarah like has no just has no regard for anything other than just getting the job done so kind of in a way those characters that we saw in part three of elseworlds we're kind of seeing those versions and in the current timeline uh, a little you know, bit. In 2018. Oh no, actually, a... that wasn't 2018. I, no, I stand corrected. It no. was. It was. It was meant to be uh, because you have to remember, Legends last season finished in 2018. So yeah, but this was the moment that John had broken up with. Um, I, I forget his name. Um, Dez. Th- this is the moment that John had broken up with Dez. I think we're under the impression that that, that had was, been a couple was... years before. No, it was it was after last year's finale, but before the unicorn incident. It was meant to be in that t- that in that time. Okay, it's it's sandwiched there. Okay, so mm-hmm. all right, so still 2018, but maybe not as current as Elseworlds. So right, it, it's post the Aruba vacation, and then but before the start of this season, it's okay. meant to be John's summer summer love fling. So okay, all right. So I guess you could loosely tie it in, but it's not necessarily a doesn't need to be right it doesn't need to be at all um but yeah i mean other than that the episode was pretty straightforward uh in in plot right and it was and it was part two of a finale i mean we even see the stein puppet return when everything is righted and we see john realize he has to stop himself him and des have to be together you know which is you know exactly what everybody expects at that point they have to undo the damage that they did. And the only way to do that is to make sure that the time continues on exactly as it's supposed to. We see Charlie kind of come to terms with the fact that, nope, she's not going to have her powers, but she has this place with the legends. And Zari is no longer a cat and spitting up hairballs. Yeah. So. <laughs> which, which was so, so fantastic. And you know what? One of my other favorite scenes, too, was by the end of this with um, uh, the scene with Mick and Ava. And seeing them comes to come to terms with each other, with Mick coming in having made snickerdoodles, mm-hmm. uh, and Ava reading his book and actually enjoying it. Right, I, I think that was great. I would say too, what was your favorite sequence in all of this? Whether it was maybe one of the odd, like odd timelines or just a, a, a character pairing that happened the back and forth. That oh my god, uh, Mick and Fairy Godmother. I thought was fantastic seeing them as like uh, as like the new crime duo and fairy godmother being almost like the new snart with the two that, of them. I thought was great. That was fantastic. I also loved Gary talking to Charlie as Gary, uh, which was one of my other favorites was kind of like, wait a second. 
Yes. How do I know that, that that's this? He's like, because I'm you from the future. And he's like, ah, that makes all the sense. He's like, I hear there's a shapeshifter about. <laughs> like, yeah, you should. Uh, yeah, I, of course I know that because I'm from the future. So. <laughs> that, that was a lot of fun, too. I forgot about that one. Um, that one just made me smile, too, because I think what added to it was that version of Gary with the pink kitty backpack carrying Zarya around. Just had me just in stitches, and it was just too funny. Yeah, uh, I, I absolutely thoroughly loved it. Oh, I did too. Uh, again, very. I, and, and the only downside to it is, is that now we have to wait till April. Yeah, and I think that's that's not a great feeling. But I think because Elseworlds is going to have so much ramification. Granted, not this year, uh, but yeah. we we'll get to that um, when we wrap up all of the conversation because. I think 2019 is going to be a little bit more different than we anticipate. Yeah, so. I do too. Uh, but yeah, I think that's I think that's all I have. Well, for, I think for the Legends. last big thing is our our theory for last week is that Dez is still around uh, with the embodiment of Neuron, and that was going to be the actor we were going to see play the big bad. Was confirmed to the very end of yes, the episode where we see we see him uh, playing golf with Hank Haywood. So so we do see the fact that Hank is working with Neuron unbeknownst to him so yeah I, which, I think that's the biggest thing is that he doesn't know he's dealing with the demon right but it was something that we actually addressed in our conversation last week when we saw that first part of the dead storyline come to come to pass so again exactly where we thought this was going to go uh i think this is a really good strong staple would have loved to have seen the the overplot um addressed a little bit more but I still think that this was a big win. You know, I'm starting to realize, too, I knew I recognized the actor that played Dez from somewhere. Uh, and I just figured out where it is. He's playing a demon in this, but he was an angel in another show. He was in, he was the angel Michael in Supernatural. Ah, OK, so uh, I, I, I know you I, haven't watched in a while. Yep, I, ha- I have not, unfortunately. <laughs> yeah, so. so, and this was relatively the 2017 2018 season of Supernatural. So, last year. Okay, so yeah. It's, so, it's I more definitely, definitely would not have seen it. Yeah, so. I didn't think you would would. So, but that's fine. All right. Let's, let's, uh, yeah. let's shuffle on over. Oh, my God. So, uh, here now, here's the interesting question is we're going to try and break this down as best as possible, but. I, this is going to have to start to finish, I think, because I, this is a very fluid story. Yeah, I mean, but let's be honest. Is this going to be anything other than a geek out session? Probably not. <laughs> I, I really don't see any other way. It couldn't it couldn't be. I mean, because if you look at the story as a whole, the story is very straightforward. It's the the Book of Destiny is given to Dr. John Deegan. He rewrites history. He rewrites destiny in one way. You know, they, they're able to overcome it. Destiny gets rewritten again. They're able – and in the process of overcoming it, they they find a way to fix it. And that's pretty much the story. It's more of – you know, a, a, that's pretty much the story as a whole. Granted, there are definitely a lot of key things that are in in there and how the story plays out. Um, but it's it's a pretty straightforward story. It's Freaky Friday or Quantum Leap. Or Quantum Leap, wanna, yes. Whatever you want to look at it as. Well, it would only so. be Quantum Leap if we saw ourselves in the mirror. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> that's, one of the, that's one of the notes that I have. All right, so let's start with part one of this story, right. uh, which happens in The Flash. Uh, you know, they did reverse it. Flash aired first, Arrow, then Supergirl on Tuesday. So uh, we start with part one in which... Very first thing we see is Dr. John Deegan trying to propose this theory about switching minds. And 
immediately afterwards, he is met by the monitor who gives him the Book of Destiny to allow him to do to rewrite Destiny in any way that he sees fit. And very appropriately as to this theory that he has that nobody wants to believe in, this is what he does. And we see Barry Allen become the Green Arrow and Oliver Queen become the Flash. Right. Or, and we fi- and we do find out much later on, and we can preface this here, um, it wasn't meant to work that way. It was John not understanding how to rewrite anything or history, and it just happened to work out the way where their conscious- consciousness just swapped, and that was it. So Yes. I, I mean, because we, we do see that it's not I – mean, what we thought was going to be Barry Allen is the Green Arrow, Oliver Queen is the Flash. It doesn't exactly play out that way in that – the Freaky Friday aspect, Oliver Queen is still Green Arrow and Barry Allen is still the Flash. It's just they are those people now. Oliver, right. You know, Oliver is Barry. Barry is Oliver. Mm-hmm. So and to the world, that's how it's always been. Iris is Ein- married to to yeah. to Barry, a.k.a. Oliver. Einhorn is Finkel. Finkel is Einhorn. <laughs> Finkel is Einhorn. <laughs> Einhorn is a man. Oh, um, your gun is digging into my hip. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, just a random throwback to Ace Ventura. So. Oh, yeah. Um, and, and, you know, and this was uh, a lot of fun. This episode, you know, I think each one kind of had their own little their own little moments for what they were. I mean, part one to me was just a lot of fun. Part two was uh, a great introduction to Batwoman and a, a ton of great Batman and Gotham nods. Oh, my God. And they went a lot deeper than I think any of us anticipated. Holy crap. Uh, but, yeah, we'll talk about that when we get into the part two discussion. Uh, yeah. And and part three to me was more – while it was a wrap-up to the story, there was a lot of heart and emotion built into part three. Oh, my God. One of the, the final sequences before we get to the teaser part for what's to come uh, was one of the best scenes I think we've ever seen across the Arrowverse because it showed us one of the most iconic scenes in DC history. Yes. So. And we got. Oh, my God. It's. Well, actually, how about this? Let's let's start off with the the two new characters introduced and not talking about the villains. Uh, or actually, you know, let's talk about three characters. Let's talk about the monitor. Let's talk about Lois Lane and let's talk about Kate Kane. I think those are the three we should give our our, our early impressions of in the beginning of this, because these are huge DC characters that are making their appearance for the very first time before we get into the story. Instead of us like talking about what's happening and then like, crap, let's just talk about Lois Lane for 45 minutes. Yeah, and and you're right. I mean, these are characters, excuse me, that are introduced into this, but we're this is not the last we're going to see of these characters as we're finding out. By the tease at the end, which we will talk about, um, because I, in all honesty, there were so many geek out moments during this Elseworlds crossover in all three parts. Um, that was probably my biggest one was that teaser. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, but yeah, let's start with uh, let's start with the monitor, aka Marnovu, uh, played by Lamonica Garrett, who. Um, you know, I've seen tweets uh, from people from uh, Grant Gustin and Stephen Amell who said that, you know, seeing Lamonica in costume as the monitor and john wesley ship said this as well that he just had that stature of seeing him as the monitor that there was no question who this guy was oh yeah he just had that imposing stature 
Uh, oh, his presence on screen, his his presence on screen was phenomenal. I mean, he didn't have to do much. He 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 stood tall, held a book, but he didn't do a lot beyond that. It was just it, he, they made him kind of terrifying. But we also know he what he's doing when we get into the the plot of this all is actually for the greater good. It is purely, hey, look, I know that worlds are going to die, but if we don't find people that are going to stop this threat coming then everything is for naught. And this is the purpose of all of this. Um, but that was what worked so well about him because he looked like he was peeled right off of the comic book page. I don't think they've ever achieved a costume that perfect on the show where they said, this is exactly what the character looks like in the comic books. We are not going to miss a beat. We're not going to take any liberties. This is exactly who and what this character should look like. And 100, 100% did they achieve that in Elseworlds. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you completely. And that's it's it's one of those things that now that we know where these series are going in the future and the story that they're going to attempt to tell, I think that's the best way to do it is I think you have to be as true to it as you possibly can, at least when it comes to the characters. Because what we're going to get in the future, I don't know if you can be as true to the actual story when it comes to adapting it for television. There's going to be changes. But if you can stay true to the character and their look, you do it. And they did it. They did it with Marnovu. Absolutely. Oh, yeah. They achieved that perfectly. I, there's not a question in my mind. I was absolutely blown away with how he was portrayed, how they crafted his character and how they crafted the story around what he was trying to attempt, because he's still kind of built as the villain of this. And he's not. He absolutely is not. The villain of this is John Deegan. Um, and it'll be interesting when we get to the end, because <laughs> it was at the end of episode one where I put something together that I never thought about. And you and I got to see each other when we recorded Caffeine Crew. And I was like, did you put this together? And you're like, no. And our minds were just <laughs> both blown at the same time. And that was only is, part one. And that was in the end of part one. And for those of you that didn't put this together by the end of this, Dr. Uh, Dr. John Deegan is Dr. Destiny. Because he has the book of destiny, Dr. John Deegan, D-E-E, D -E -E, Dr. John D. So, a.k.a. Dr. Destiny. So, yes. um, it was a great little thing that it just made you not think about it at all at the beginning. But once it happened and then at the end of episode one when he had the book and you found out they called it the book of destiny. I'm like, ah, that's brilliant. Great job. At the end of this, we also see his face transformed into that traditional look. If you guys remember when we did the Justice League Dark movie, he was the big bad in that. Uh, very similar design, uh, minus the mullet. So, <laughs> so yeah. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but, but beautifully done. Uh, all right, Lois Lane. Let's go into Lois. Uh, yeah, I mean, we're we're seeing Lois for the first time. And, um, it, you know, in the Arrowverse, Elizabeth Tulak is the one that they cast as Lois. And I want to say, like, I some of the comments I did see online were people that were not sold by her as Lois. Or they just not sold. It wasn't that they weren't sold on Elizabeth as Lois Lane is that they weren't sold on this version of Lois Lane, but this was only after part one. They expected to see more of her and which we do. She's a very, she becomes a key element of part three. Um, I have to say, as far as casting goes, I was very pleased. I think this was great casting for Lois. As far as the character goes, man, I, I think this is one of the best versions of Lois we've gotten in a while. It was. And I say, in addition to that, some of the best chemistry between a Clark and Lois ever on screen. Yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, really, I, really knocked it out of the park. I mean, don't get me wrong. Like, I, I love the the chemistry of Tom Welling and oh god, now it's gonna bother me. She was in Supergirl too, but uh, the the actress that played Lois in Smallville, uh, the chemistry between those two was was great. But Smallville had a lot longer to build that chemistry. This was something that had to be immediate right from the start. Because these are two characters that have been in each other's lives for a while, but we're just now meeting her. So uh, for them to pull that off the way they did, uh, it was it was great. They did a fantastic job with that. I mean, even the scene where uh, when they're on the Kent farm, which, oh, God, we'll talk about another geek out moment when we're getting to those. Uh, the scene where, you know, he's telling her, be careful on that ladder. And she just gives him that smirk and says, you'll catch me. Like, that's the chemistry of Lois and Clark. And they they portrayed it perfectly on screen. It was it, again they managed in you know, like the three or four scenes that they had together, um, and some of those were a lot more longer scenes, but they just nailed it. They absolutely nailed it. This was the same kind of geek out feeling I had when we first met Tyler Hawkins Superman. Yeah. I had the exact same thing with her version of Lois Lane. It was I think exactly what it needs to be in today's day and age in 2018. That's what Lois Lane should be and how she should be represented. It was perfect. I think absolutely perfect. Well, and, and at the same time, not not only just the chemistry between her and Tyler with Lois and Clark, but they nailed Lois's personality and what personality what her personality should have been. I mean, there's the moments where she's talking to Kara about, you know, she's she's addressing an issue in real life about how yet Clark still makes 17 more cents on the dollar than she does, even though she's the most renowned and feared reporter on two planets. And, but yet she still does it in a way that she's being lighthearted and poking fun at Clark. Uh, and then at the same time, there's the moment where Barry and Oliver are going head to head out in the field and she yells Deckham, Barry. Like, oh, oh no, kick his ass, Barry. Oh, no, I think she said Deckham. I'm I'll pretty kick his ass. <laughs> what I'll, I'm pr- oh, I watched it three times. I'm pretty sure it was Deca, but agree to disagree. I, I digress. Doesn't matter. It was still a moment that really portrayed her personality very well. Yeah, and, and like I think to anybody, I, I know people are sold on Amy Adams. My God, she put Amy Adams to shame as Lois. Yeah, ridiculously put Lo- Amy Adams to shame. So my only question is, and this is going to jump into some of the story a little bit, is we do get Lois again at the end. um, And when she does show up, she's wielding a hammer. Do we know what that hammer is? Because I don't. I am not entirely certain what that was. Because my brain started to remember if they went into it or not. I don't think Um, they did. Yeah. There, there's uh, one moment where you see that hammer kind of in the Fortress of Solitude. Uh, you know, the the mob boss, Cisco, touches it and it kind of sets off like a flash. And then the next time you see it, she shows up with it. Yeah. It's never named. It's never mentioned where it's from. I, I, I don't know what it is. If any of our listeners have any ideas, uh, we, please we let s- us know. We see it used really quickly where it strikes the ground and, you know, but that's that's about it. At yeah. first, when I saw it, I was like, maybe that's like a it's a portable Phantom Zone projector or something like that when I first saw it. But then we we're like, nope, it's it's a hammer of some type. And unfortunately, I'm sure there's plenty of people that are like, how did you not pick up on what that is? Fortunately, I, I just I have no idea. Yeah. So um, I want to say one other thing, too, uh, in regards to Lois, uh, and it kind of reflects on Tyler a little bit. I was already a big fan of Tyler 
as coming in and portraying this version of Superman. And I've said it multiple times on this podcast, all of the faith I lost in the Superman character from Man of Steel, I got back in almost instantly when it came to Tyler. Uh, after seeing him and all of what he play and the, the big part that he plays, both good and bad in it. And when I say good and bad, I don't mean there was, he did bad things in this crossover. I mean, he, he was a, a villain at one part in this crossover, um, or a version of him was a villain in this crossover. I have never been more convinced that if you decided to make a Superman television show and or film with Tyler as Superman, I would be 150% behind it. Absolutely. No question. I, I, yeah, no, that was easily, I think, my favorite version we've seen of this character in such a long time. I have not felt that way since Christopher Reeves and even Christopher Reeves, unfortunately only had in, in all honesty, two good Superman films. Yeah. And I think that if they really wanted to give, you know, another Superman series a shot, um, there's a way to do it and there's a time to do it. And we'll get into that when we start talking about the end of all of this. Yeah. uh, Agreed. Um, And, you know, going into that whole, I haven't felt that good about Superman since Christopher Reeve, the nods to the original, Superman films in this crossover, there were multiple and every single one made me smile. Yeah. Every single one from, uh, you know, and who are you a friend, which was a complete nod to the original, yeah. uh, to the crushing of the charcoal. I'll just leave it at that until we talk about it later. Um, to the, the, the pressure of the charcoal, which was right out of the Superman films as well. Mm-hmm. And I think was just massively well done and a great nod for the fans. It, it really was. And it was just touching and beautiful and handled just with such care. And again, it, Lois and Clark were two massive highlights out of this entire um, crossover this year. I'm so happy to get a chance to see not only them appear, but watching them interact with Barry and, you know, uh, Ollie and all that stuff. And I think that's what made it just shine as much as it did, because we finally got to get ready to close that loop a little bit. And we now have those characters finally getting a chance to meet. And it was perfect. And the way that they interacted together was great. It was really, really solid. Yeah. Um, you know, Lois calling Clark Smallville was mm-hmm. was fantastic. Um and I will say to kind of wrap up the whole geeking out about Tyler and and uh, Elizabeth as Lois and Clark. Um, I was already a fan of that Superman suit, but seeing it in black, dude, it's pretty badass. Well, it's a very it was actually a different design too. It actually had the high collar um, that has the little yeah. V cut in the in the black suit that we see versus kind of the more open chest area that we see on Tyler's. And actually, I really kind of liked I, the design of the black one a little bit more. So I'm hoping what maybe when we see them come back, they're going to adopt that version of the suit in the traditional color scheme when uh, when they return from Argo in the end of well for next year. Yeah, because I guarantee that's when we'll see them next. I mean, so. we 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 do know, and again, it's it's jumping into the story a little bit, but you know, we do know that that version of Superman is actually John Deegan uh, in Superman form. I think the only thing that may maybe would have made it a little bit better, or at least more fun, maybe not better, uh, because there's only certain people that would get it and appreciate it, is if you kept John Deegan's mullet on Tyler when he was black suit Superman. 
That would have been hysterical. That would've, actually would have been that would have worked great, actually. It would have, because that would have been literally the black and removed the cape. Take the cape off, put the mullet, keep the mullet on, and you literally would have gotten Superman after he comes back from being from being killed by Doomsday. Yeah. And it would have made people question everything until you found out who that was at first. Because then everybody would be like, wait, what? Yeah, who <laughs> so, is this? Yeah. Yeah. So but it was just that to me would have made it a lot more fun. But again, Casual viewers of these shows who might not have read the comics wouldn't have gotten that reference at all. Yeah, no, but I think they, everything that they did there was great. All right, let's yeah. move into Kate Kane. Yes, yeah, the, the other key character who we get finally in uh, part two of Elseworlds. So, you know what, I've I've kind of taken control of the other. I'll let you take the lead on this one. Well, I mean, I got to say right off the bat, when we hit Gotham, I think what was really kind of perfect about it was I like the way that they wrote off Gotham City in the Arrowverse. I thought it was really great when you see Kara, Barry and Ollie kind of walking down the street and Oliver makes an offhand comment. He's just like, there's a reason nobody talks about Gotham City. It's just like the moment that you step on the street, you're most likely going to get mugged. This city's basically dead. And that's why it's been ignored. It's basically they kind of view it as. There's just nothing left of this place. And when we do see Gotham in this universe, Gotham is is in bad shape. It is. If you looked at Star City at the end of even the worst of its worst moments, this is nothing compared to what Gotham is as a whole. This feels like Gotham post no man's land in the comic books where it was just everybody just kind of use it as no, it is a lawless nightmare and it's best just not even to go there. And that's why that city worked the way it did. And it played out perfectly. But we find out right when we do meet Kate Kane initially, you know, we'd see her kind of as Batwoman overlooking and watching Oliver and, you know, Kara and now Barry kind of just kind of in the city trying to figure out what the next move are, the next steps, trying to find out where they can find John. She's already well onto them. So when they actually do get to the point where they get, you know, locked up. She is the one that actually bails them out, brings them to the Wayne Enterprises building, which we see is fully dilapidated. Um, And we found out that Bruce has been gone for three years. No one knows where he is. And we even find out that Batman hasn't been around for the same time to the point where Kara even makes that nod and says, isn't it kind of interesting that Bruce Wayne and Bruce Wayne and uh, Batman both disappear at the same time? And I love the fact that she knows she knows all of that, but she nods at it in the, just the gentlest way, because we even see that near the end of the of the involvement with Kate Kane and Kara. She actually brings up kind of like, well, you know what? My cousin knows your cousin kind of thing. Yeah. Well, so what? I thought that was really kind of a perfect way to to get to the point where that even in the very first time when we have that whole idea brought up, Kara already alludes to she knows who Batman is. So, yeah. And what I really like about that scene as well, too, is the fact that, you know, she knows that Kara is Supergirl, which I I, I don't really think is it's not anything she would have known to begin with. But what it really does show is that she is extremely intelligent. This is something that she put together on her own just from the short amount of time that she has known the two of them and that she has interact with them because it's literally only a matter of hours that all of this takes place. And so so by the fact that she was able to deduce that Kara was Supergirl, it's really not a stretch to figure that out. But in this universe, you kind of take it for what it is. Um, But the fact that she was able to figure that out within a matter of hours makes her an extremely intelligent character and really makes me hopeful that they're going to when the when the Batwoman series debuts next year, um, 
that they're really going to portray her as kind of the detective that Batman is. And I have a feeling that's exactly what we're going to see because we see her like checking monitors and watching them from a distance. All these little pieces, it's showing her intelligence very quickly with a short amount of time that they have with her character. Yeah, this was really just a wonderful tease for what her character could be when her show starts and hopefully her pilot takes off as well. And as from what I understand, the the fan community absolutely adored, uh, you know, her her job as Kate Kane. Same way with uh, when we saw Lois Lane, everybody really took to her incredibly well as in, in addition to, uh, you know, Batwoman. So that's a really good positive thought process for when her pilot does start shooting. I think they were saying in April is when uh, they're talking about that at this point. But when we do see a little bit more of her, we see most of her interactions are really with Kara, which I thought was really kind of wise um, because they can do whatever that they want there. Like I said, they can kind of reinforce a few things and it's kind of that it's that batman superman dynamic but they're doing it with batwoman and supergirl and i thought that was perfect they're kind of building as they even nod to at the end you know world's finest yes and i thought that was a really perfect way to do this but it was kind of fun to watch you know the dynamics versus you know people like ollie and barry versus kate kate's idea is we saw a a very Batman character. Uh, and it makes you finally say, oh, Oliver is very much not Batman. And that was good. It was a really good, poignant thing to have because for the longest time, everybody's like, well, Oliver Queen in the Arrowverse is essentially Batman. This was that final mark that said, actually, no, he isn't. There's somebody that's even more Batman than Oliver is in this series, which works. And I'm really happy that they're kind of making making sure everybody realizes, no, that's not how this works. He is actually Green Arrow, please view him as Green Arrow. Yeah. If you want to look at anybody as Batman, look at Batwoman. And I think that was what they tried to get across, and I think they achieved that with the way that she portrayed that character. Yeah. So I think that was a really smart move, and I was really happy with that. No, I, and I agree with that too. And I, I love the fact that they kind of played on the whole Batman as a myth. Uh, Barry believed it. Oliver didn't. And I think that's because even at one point in the series, we in, in – in the episodes, we do get the fact that Barry does believe he was the first vigilante. And, you know, he even says that. He's like, no, Batman is a myth. I'm the original vigilante. And as you said, this series kind of puts that to rest and is like, no, there's somebody a little bit more vigilante or at least more Batman-like than you, and that's Batwoman. Yeah. And it was Batman before Batwoman. And it's yeah, not so to downgrade Oliver at all. It doesn't. And I know this is where a lot of people are were kind of frustrated uh, that were hardcore Arrow fans uh, with the crossover. I know a lot of people had a serious issue with them kind of dogging on Oliver as much as they did. Um, and I think a lot of that is because they were just having fun. And I think Amel was having fun too. Um, they, they looked at things in such a lighthearted way and you saw it, especially when Kate Kane was entered into the picture. Uh, it was that line that Barry says as Oliver Queen is like, I would, no, I would never compare myself to Batman. Never. And then he turns his head with this. And I apologize for the language, the shit eating grin as he's looking at, <laughs> yes. at, at Oliver Queen. And it just made me just laugh because I think it was my favorite exchange in this whole thing. Um, but I do know, again, a lot of people did have some serious issue, and I'm sure that's probably one of the things you were going to bring up as well. It, it was. I mean, it's – Yeah. No, go ahead. Oh, no. I, I mean, I think – but I think when they were playing with those ideas quite a bit, you know, they really had a lot of fun having these core three characters play off of each other because here's the thing. I think especially in Elseworlds when we're, we kind of back up a little bit, 
uh, Kate Kane and Levis Lane and all these characters are just shining a light on the characters that we know so well. But it, they're 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 making the jokes that we make as viewers at times. And I think there's nothing wrong with that. But I think it's also just to remind us that these are comic book characters and we're allowed to have fun. We don't always have to be dark. Um, we don't have to have these intense moments and they're just shining a light on those ideas. So it's the fact that these characters work so well together because, you know, Melissa, Grant and Amel all have amazing chemistry when the three of them work together. And we've seen that since the very first crossover. Um, they work so fantastically and you believe that this is these are friends digging on each other and that's all it is it's the same way that like ben and i when we're not you know doing the show we 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 jab at each other but only in jest and for fun like you know um it's 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 a piece of endearment and i think anybody that got angry at any of those ideas because of what some of these characters kind of set up some of these things like lois mentioning to you know beat the crap out of oliver or you know grant making a a jerk yeah, like seeing seeing Barry make a dig at Oliver's expense in front of Kate Kane. Again, it, it's that friendly ribbing, and that's ex- all it is. And I think it's not to lessen the importance of a character. So. Yeah, but I mean, you know, at the same time, and I, I've had a couple debates with people on this too. And you know, you're right. There are people that had issues with the fact that they kind of, you know, crapped on Oliver quite a bit. And you know, a couple of these people, I don't want to. I'm I'm not going to again call anybody out. I just want to address the issue a little bit. Are people that you know, are, have kind of been against The Flash as a show because they feel like that's all that The Flash does and is kind of show that Barry's a better hero than Oliver is. Um, in the defense of, you know, and, and kind of to be the anti of that, uh, it's not that Flash does that in it's at all. Like, it, it's one of those things that it's so negative to you that you feel like it happens all the time. And it really doesn't. It doesn't happen as often as you... That it happens. It's very rare that it happens anyway. It's usually only during crossovers do they ever kind of interact with each other anymore. And that, yes, that's usually when it comes up. But to be completely fair, there's a moment in this series, in this Elseworld series, that even Oliver himself says, I give in to my darkness. Kara and Barry are the best of us. He himself is admitting he is not the hero that they are. So for you to take offense, or not you personally, Rob, but the oh, yeah, listeners, no, I know. for you to take offense in the fact that Flash kind of craps on Oliver for Barry being better, Oliver just admitted it himself that Oliver and that Barry and Kara are better. They are better people than Oliver could ever be. So you kind of can't cast a negative light on Flash because of that when he himself is saying that. Well, I think the other piece, though, too, and what you're stating, I completely understand and agree with. Um, some people may misconstrue that a little bit, that people are like, no, Oliver is not as good of a hero. And it's this is Oliver reflecting on himself. But it's one of the big key things is we we know he makes a big sacrifice in this in this episode that we're not going to see play out until next year. Um, that kind of elevates him to the yes, most heroic I, of all. I do and agree with that. And that's something we'll talk about. But one of the other key components, and you mentioned, is people picking up and saying, oh, they're just digging at Oliver. You know what? Again, if you if you don't like that stuff happening, here's the thing. You're paying more attention to it. It's it's one of the dumbest things in the world, but here's, here's the truth of it. If somebody says, hey, you know what? I, if you look around, you'll notice the number 11 everywhere, and your brain immediately starts looking for it. Mm-hmm. 
like one of the things that I'd make no bones about it is I do not like Felicity's character arc since probably season three. So whenever she does something that irritates me just a little bit, my brain blows it out of proportion. Like I make the joke that Felicity, all she does is cry. <laughs> that, she doesn't really do it that much. That was she actually very- a comparison I made in this debate too. Okay, yeah, and I was like, I was like, you know, she really doesn't do it that much. But when it happens for me, it drives me crazy. But it doesn't mean it drives everybody else crazy. Yeah. It's again, your brain is looking for it, and it's because it's something you feel passionate about that your 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 idea in your brain is wants to fight that and say, well, they're doing X here, 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 and here. Just I want people to try to take a step back, and I try to do that too when I can. But again, my critic brain falls into play a lot of times, but then my my fanboy brain does too. It's hard to kind of find the middle ground sometimes, especially with the way that we do these shows. But I think that's the big thing is we don't want anybody to think that some of our favorite moments as we continue to talk about this, where they're doing digs at Oliver's because we hate Oliver's character, anything but that we adore his character. If anything, I would love to see every show canceled and give us a show that is purely just Oliver, Barry and Kara, because I think their dynamic is the three of them together is the best thing we got in this entire universe. And I think there's no question about it. They play off of each other so wonderfully. The chemistry between the three of them is phenomenal. And I always view it as this is playful ribbing amongst three really close friends. And it's one of the reasons why these crossovers get better and better every year is because the chemistry between these three characters is fantastic. It has been from the start and it only gets better the more we see them together. Exactly. So it's I, like you fall in love with what these people are. You believe them and you buy them being as close as they are. Yeah. I, I mean, and again, I don't want this to to feel like it in my defense, like I'm I'm shitting on on Oliver because I'm not. I, I, I love Oliver as a hero. I, I think I don't really I, I agree with some people and that no hero should be above another. But, you know, when it comes to that, you know, like I said, I, I stand with what you said is that it. You see something as negative, you're going to see it more often in your eyes because you're you're constantly going to be looking for it now. Even if you're not intentionally doing it, you're you're always going to be looking for it. And you know, I brought up the comparison of Felicity crying. She doesn't cry as often as we make it seem, but we always shine a light to it anytime it does happen. Uh, I mean, yeah. you said you said during Slabside Redemption, uh, we see Felicity in one scene, and what's she doing? She's crying. So, I mean, and we joke about it too, but it doesn't digress how we feel about the show no Um, not at all not at all and yes i understand where people are coming from and that they feel like the flash kind of craps on oliver a lot but again i think it's more that you're you just don't like it so often that you're seeing it more and because it's it'll it's kind of like a beacon it's going to shine brighter than everything else when you notice it um but at the same time yeah oliver kind of kind of stood by that statement himself by saying Kara and Barry are the best of us. But I do agree with what you said that by making whatever sacrifice he is making, he has now put himself a level above. Yes, but this is I, the first time this is happening. Right. And again, it's we're still, if you view this, the, the verse as a whole, and I think until what happens next year, essentially we're still kind of feel like we're in the, the, the creation of these characters. They're still not the full-blown versions that we know of these characters in the comic books. They're still being molded into the tra- traditional version of the Flash. I mean, Flash just got his ring this season. We're seeing Kara 
um, still only a couple of years away, still working for a government or uh, agency, all these things. She's not really fully out on her own. All of these little pieces, they're not their traditional characters. We're not seeing a Green Arrow that's a little bit more open and ingest and, and kind of cracking wise a little bit more out there like we see in the comics, all these things. And it's not to say that they have to be those versions of the characters, but they're still becoming the characters we all know and love. Because if you just give us this is the comic book version of this character, well, they can't grow. And I think or, or well, it's not that they can't grow, but you need to shape them into something. And it's a lot easier to do a character creation and an arc when you have a lot of pieces to unfold about a character and how they are and how they become the people that we know and love. It's not an origin story, but I mean, again, even Oliver and Felicity have a really great scene in, in, in episode two where they're kind of saying is, um, you know, people change and it's kind of that it's that beautiful piece that is like, I want to be there with you and change with you. That's that was, I think, one of the best scenes that we got because it harkens back to what we're going to see Oliver do at the end of this, that people have to change and they want to change together. And I thought that was that was the moment that I'm like, yes, that's what I wanted from you guys. You're not dragging things out just to drag things out with the Felicity Oliver thing. They addressed it here. And that was exactly what I wanted to see. And that was a perfect scene to do that. Yeah. Um, so that was a big thumbs up. But you mentioned a, a moment ago, shining a beacon. So that kind of steers the, steers the ship back to Kate Kane a little bit. Because the one thing we didn't talk about was seeing her suited up as Batwoman. What was that like for you? Uh, you know what? I think, I mean, we had already kind of seen it by the end of part one. We had seen the pictures and the images, the promo shots of it. So uh, it was, it's one thing to see those promo shots because she looked amazing in the promo shots, if you ask me. But to me, I mean, and then we did see her standing atop, you know, a tower at the end of part one. We see it again in part two when Barry, Oliver, and Kara are on, you know, the rooftop with the bat, with, you know, the bat symbol, which was really cool. Um, uh, but to me, the coolest part about it was after the whole interaction with meeting Kate Kane, when Kate Kane goes down into what we assume is the dilapidated Batcave to see the Batwoman suit in, I guess, what looks like a tree trunk. Yeah. Um, in combination of the Batcave with the Batsuit and then seeing her and the first time we see her is very much a nod to Dar- uh, to Batman Begins in coming down on the van and the windows blowing out of the van um, and seeing her in action for the first time wearing the suit. I thought it was amazing. I really oh, yeah. did. I'm I'm sold on a Batwoman show with Ruby Rose already. I thought she did a phenomenal job. I was really blown away with her. And I think they have something really solid uh, there. I think this is going to be what we want and what we expect uh, of a Batman-esque show. I think they're going to pull it off. I really do. And this was proof positive. We actually got another great nod. Um, well, two great nods before we get into. Oh, you know what? Screw it. <laughs> let's 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 go back. Let's let's kind of break down. Not not. God, I don't even know how we want to do this. Well, well, well. Before we continue with that, um, I, I want to say one, other, two more things real quick to to Batwoman and a potential Batwoman series. Um, we definitely got some previews of what the music is going to be like for the series because we got a whole new theme mm-hmm. for the moments that she came in, uh, which I'm really looking forward to because I'm somebody who really enjoys scores and things like that. But one of the other things I did realize that I want to see with the Batwoman series, this episode, part two, was directed by Bamford. Mm-hmm. Um, Bamford needs to take the reins of directing and doing stunts for Batwoman. He yes. absolutely has to. 
I think he should be the first. Per- he, he should direct ep- the pilot episode. I, think I, I agree with that completely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I agree with that. I think uh, Bamford doing Batwoman is where you need to go with this series. Yeah. So that, that was what I that was were the other two things I wanted to say about Batwoman. Yeah, no, definitely. All right. Um, I'm going to let you take back over and kind of steer the ship again because um, I don't know where you want to go. Well, here's what I'm thinking. I'm thinking because there's still quite a bit to talk about um, and we don't want to go too extended in the episode. So here's what I'm thinking. I have one other character that I think we we need to discuss, but it's going to lead us into that teaser at the end. So I think we should talk about this other character because it's going to be a short conversation. Let's talk about the teaser um, and make our predictions for what we feel like it's going to be into next season. And then we just go back and just mention a bunch of the small little and fun nods that we, okay. we saw for the series. I, I think that makes the best sense. Yeah, I mean, because otherwise we're just going to go all over the place. Um, oh, yeah. We'll talk for longer than the crossover happened. Yeah, <laughs> so. <laughs> yeah. But one other character that we did get introduced to uh, in two different moments, uh, we saw him for the first time in – We I don't think people knew who he was uh, because it was never really addressed. And he's never actually mentioned by name in this, but I know, Rob and I, you, you and I both know who this character is. Uh, we get to see Psycho Pirate for the first time in part two uh, in that he does escape Arkham Asylum. Uh, he is recaptured and put back in, and we do see him again in uh, part three, in that he is the c- in the cell next to Dr. Destiny. Now, before that teaser was even dropped at the end, just seeing those two characters together in combination with the red skies that we saw earlier in the series, I knew where they were going. And then we saw the teaser, which just confirmed it. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. And I think what was... <laughs> uh, all right. So we already knew Psycho Pirate was essentially coming because I would say, what, it was about four weeks ago, five weeks ago, we actually read out on an episode of this show uh, the article that Nora Allen brings back from the future. We, we see that follow-up article written by Iris West Allen about Basically, 25 years after the disappearance of Flash, all these pieces and how they kind of play into things. And that was the first time Psycho Pirate was mentioned. Uh, and it was – I try to remember his actual name uh, as a as a person versus his villain name. Um, it's just eluding me at the moment. But we knew he is involved in some way, shape, and form with um, the, the crisis that is going to essentially happen. So I think that was really cool that we got him slid into this because, again, it's played a very small role, but he had a very important role by the very end of it, even if it was just for three sentences, because it's three of the most important sentences that you could mention anywhere in DC Comics. And those three sentences I actually have written down because I wanted to make sure we mention them. Uh, And that is the stage is set. Worlds will live. Worlds will die. And the universe will never be the same. Okay, four sentences. So. Well, I think I think worlds will live, comma, worlds will die. Oh, worlds will die. Yeah. Yes. So I think it is three sentences. Uh, but that leads us into what we are getting in fall of 2019. You and I have been talking about this for a while, that we knew they were going to go with this. There were articles uh, in that, you know, the creators of The Flash and Guggenheim said that they wanted to do this as like the 10th season of The Flash. With the possibility of The Flash not getting a 10th season or going that long, obviously you're going to have to make adaptations. We had no idea they were already making those adaptations because next year we are getting Crisis on Infinite Earths. Right. And I cannot tell you 
how excited that I am. One, excited, but two, bittersweet, because it means we're ending the podcast. Um, and honestly, <laughs> I don't know if we really are. We'll, we'll talk it, about it, that it, when it gets to it. it but the thing is, it could very well be a possibility. It could so. be because you and I had a discussion with this over Messenger on on Facebook. And, and we definitely encourage you guys to message us on the Facebook page and, you know, email us and stuff. And and I was having a discussion with somebody who was messaging us on the Facebook page. He wasn't familiar with Infinite Earths and he was kind of trying to get a gauge as to why people were getting as excited as they were. And, you know, he was okay with me telling him a little bit about what it is it entailed. Mm-hmm. And I basically just told him, I was like, look, you look at all the storylines of DC um, and you look at Crisis on Infinite Earths. Crisis on Infinite Earths is arguably one of the largest storylines DC has ever approached. It is kind of not just the pinnacle, but the benchmark of storytelling when it comes to DC. It moved us from the Silver Age into the Modern Age. Yes. Uh, it, it was it was. Hey, we made this continuity so complex and impossible to understand. And we have this massive multiverse that people are like, well, why is this character from Earth one? This one's from Earth 38. This one's from Earth 90. Um, Obviously nodding to our shows that we're talking about now. But this was the sacrifice of so many characters. This was the death of all these heroes and villains. It merged the Earths together, but it it set the stage for what DC was going to become. Um, DC actually has this history of being kind of thought of as the, there's a lot darker, more adult oriented comics. Not to say that Marvel isn't because Marvel tells amazingly dark and or adult oriented comics as well. But that gave DC this idea of this for for so many people for such a long time as comics were changing uh, and, and coming out of that silver age golden age mindset that everything had to be happy go lucky the more you know psa kind of feeling to no we can tell really in-depth deep stories and this was one of those ones next to you know the you know, watchman from alan moore uh this was this was a huge story for dc this was i would say the biggest story and that's why they keep going back to that moniker of crisis it's kind of marvel's secret wars it's 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 there's so much importance to this Oh, yeah, absolutely. I I mean, again, like I said, benchmark and pinnacle are two words you could use to describe exactly what crisis is, because it's one of those things that is drastically going to change the landscape of everything that's going to happen going forward. And it's such a big storyline that, yeah, a couple weeks ago, you know, I had joked that if they ever decide to do Crisis on Infinite Earths, we might as well just wrap up the podcast because there's nothing bigger that you could do after that. Um, And I really feel that way. When it comes to it, so much so that um, I do have a very bold prediction for where I think this is going to go. Um, and I think uh, you you I think you have a prediction as well. Yours might be a little bit different. I'm sure you've read some online, too. Uh, so if if it's OK, I think I'm just going to say my prediction. We'll talk predictions a little bit and then we can just go back and talk Easter eggs and such. Sure. Let's do it. So my prediction is this. We're going to be going into season eight of Arrow next season. Uh, and we've talked for a while that this show has probably run its course. As much as we still love it, uh, there's a potential that it's probably not going to go much longer uh, after that. I, I think for the sake of storytelling uh, and also for the sake of Stephen kind of wanting expand, to expand his career a little bit. He's He's been working on other films. He's now directing and producing a film and being Code 8 with Robbie Amell. He's looking to do other things, and I don't think he wants to be 
held back by not that arrow holds him back but i don't want to i don't think he wants to be constrained by arrow for too much longer um plus with his daughter and everything he kind of wants to be able to do other things my prediction for next year we are going to i think what we are seeing in the flash forwards of arrow because i think this plan to do a crisis on infinite earths has kind of been in the works already for a while they've just been keeping a lid on it i think what we're seeing on arrow in the flash forwards is a post-crisis future oliver is gone oliver is not around and i think it kind of ties into the deal that he made with the monitor in that when it comes down to it because the monitor does say at the end when barry confronts him um uh i, I have it written down um oh there has to be a change in the balance of destiny so in order to change destiny one way you have to be committed to changing it in another I think when it comes down to Crisis on Infinite Earths happening, Barry is not is no longer going to be the one who disappears. I think it's going to be Oliver. Oliver is going to take his place in that disappearance. Well, uh, not just him, but Kara as well. Um, in the original Crisis on Infinite Earths, we mentioned it before, and if you're new to the show and you're not familiar with that, the two is Ca- two biggest casualties in Crisis of Infinite Earths are Kara and Barry. Yes. So, and I think the whole speech of like you need them because they are the best of us. Oliver is going to take their place. So we're going to see the season start as normal, building events towards Crisis on Infinite Earths. I wouldn't be surprised if these seasons start off as precursors to Crisis. We're not even going to get big bads. Uh, for the most part, at least not on Arrow. I think everything's going to be building towards Crisis. Crisis is going to be the fall crossover. It's going to be five shows because they're going to incorporate all four shows plus Batwoman into it. So we're going to get a much longer crossover. When the crossover concludes, Barry or Oliver will be the one who is missing. The shows will continue in normal storyline, having feared Oliver as a casualty. Arrow is going to make a time jump. And what we're seeing in these flash forwards is now going to be current timeline. And it's going to be them trying to figure out how to rescue Oliver from where he... They're going to realize he's not dead. He's only disappeared. These are going to be ways to figure out how to get him to come back. When that ends, Arrow will be done. This is, Season 8 will be the final season of Arrow. And the final scene will be him being come back, come yes, back pretty much. will be him returning to the future. And honestly, even if they do not do um, this full time jump and they keep it split where present day um, and then moving forward and you watch these characters grieve, you do have a character they introduced right now, which is Emiko Queen. Yes. They can easily have her take on the mantle of Green Arrow, which is very possible um, during that time. That's kind of maybe why that they set up her as Green Arrow now. Yeah. Uh, to have her take over that legacy role. And that's even something that Stephen Mel even said that honestly, there's not much left for Oliver to do at this point except die. He said it's to leave, leave, leave a legacy and die. Yeah. He said that's really all that's left for his character. So this is him even as an actor alluding to this. And Mel has a lot of creative control of what is done on that show and with his character. So I think this is a very strong possibility. Yeah. And that's basically what it comes down to. I think my prediction is that it's going to be the crossover. It's going to be much longer because you can't do it in three episodes. Crisis is way too big to do in three episodes. Five. Yes, you could possibly do it. Um, And even five to me is pushing it. But, uh, you know, I think it's going to be something that, again, just to sum it up, Oliver's going to be the sacrifice, not Barry, not Kara. Uh, and season eight will most likely, to me, probably be the final season of Arrow. 
Yeah. Uh, it's uh, interesting that you mentioned the way that you do, because I have a very similar mindset okay. uh, with a couple small tweaks. Because you mentioned Crisis is difficult to do in three episodes, and it shouldn't be done in three episodes. Doing it in five, you could probably pull it off. My hope is something completely different. I know, and I, I've heard this, and I, I like this idea, too. My thoughts is that every show that is taking place next year, including Batwoman, is dealing with crisis, the crisis in their own way. And their shows... Instead of their big villain being some random throwaway villain, and not to say these shows have throwaway villains constantly, but instead of the legends tackling Neron and all these things, I want to see each of these shows tackle the crisis, kick off next year, because it doesn't say next year's crossover is. It just says Crisis on Infinite Earths, fall 2019. It could be the entire seasons of all these shows. And that's what my hope is, and that's what my thoughts are, is this should indeed be every one of these shows is running Crisis up through its entire season, every one of them, where it gives them the, the possibility to like, mingle a little bit if they want to, you still have a big crossover, and that happens at the end of the series for everybody. Um, but Crisis on Infinite Earths, just like in comic books, you have those tie-in books make each season the tie-in into this big event. Like when Supergirl starts off, TJ and I were talking last night, a good friend of the show, uh, and he was even saying, you know what, the best way to do it too, and I, because I was, me and him were right on the same page. Episode one of the next season of Supergirl is, you know, Kara watching TV. We don't have any Red Skies or anything. It's just kind of like the Flash saves Central City and such and such and such. And she's like, wait, what? And it doesn't matter to anybody else because it doesn't impact anybody else except People like Psychopirate that understand that things are changing, but you can have these heroes remember these things too. All these little pieces because of them working the way that they do. Having their world starting to collide in the beginning of the season and building this up and building this up and building this up. It makes so much more sense to do it that way where you can watch their their universes and worlds being torn apart. Because that does matter to characters like James Olsen and Lena Luthor and Lex and all these people and Brainiac and Wynn. And it matters to every one of those characters what's happening, not just Kara. So to make sure to pay enough attention to these things and how that impacts these characters in all of these cities. The fact that it's not just Earth 38 and Earth 1 merging. It's Earth 90 and all these things. It's important. It's really important to take the time and invest it and do it right. This is, gives you an opportunity to bring in all these new characters because here's the thing. Crisis isn't just going to be the Legends of Tomorrow, you know, Green Arrow, Supergirl, Superman, Batwoman, and The Flash because, man, oh, man, there's going to be a lot of casualties in this. There yeah. has to be. This has to have weight. And what better way to do this than ha- bringing in characters from Earth-90 and Earth-X and all these things that we've already seen and – implanting some of those characters in each of the shows so you get invested in them so when some of these smaller characters die it means something it's not just we have three episodes or five episodes to do it and again you close out these series for all of these shows with a bang um because you can continue the some of these shows but some of them this could be hey guys it's time to say goodbye to legends of tomorrow and maybe like arrow because hey you know all these things are going to happen maybe things don't play out the way that they need to and Supergirl does die. Well, here's your entry point to doing a bat uh, or not Batman, a uh, a Superman show with Lois. If Supergirl's no longer around, all these pieces have to happen at a, at a certain point. So it's the question of how this sets things up. It makes the most sense to do this as a season long thing for all of these shows or even potentially canceling some of these shows and stopping some of these shows for this this coming season and just having maybe two shows running 
Batwoman that's dealing with the stuff that's happening in Gotham. And then just a Crisis on an Infinite Earth show is the other option in my brain. And, and it's just keeping these characters together. That way you don't have to worry about that much with uh, well, how do we make sure enough time and attention is paid to certain things. Uh, and you can just do this and play this together. So it's another option out there. Yeah. Uh, my last big, bold prediction for Crisis on Infinite Earths, Batman's been missing for three years because he knew the crisis was coming. Batman's coming next year. That would be interesting if that happens. That would be really cool to see if that does happen. But, I mean, the only question is, how would he know the crisis is coming? It's Batman. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, you make a valid point, sir. Uh, yeah. It's just like, I see your point. Moving on. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think um, I, I do like your idea of everything being a, a, a the actual series long. And it's like I said, uh, you know, I kind of touched on that a little bit, too, was, well, you know, mine was potentially being the crossover and the beginnings of the seasons kind of being precursors to crisis. I do like I do like the idea of the entire seasons being dealing with cri- like technically crisis on infinite earths is the big bad of these seasons. It's a similar big bad on all of the shows. Uh, and if that and because you're right, it does say coming fall 2019 crisis on infinite earths doesn't say coming crossover 2019 crisis on well, Infinite Earths. And here's the other thing. Winter is when the crossover always is. You know, it didn't say winter 2019. It said fall. And that's oh, a big tip that's a good point. That's I didn't even pick up on me. that. It's always the winter crossover. It's but this said fall. And that's that's a big different point for all of this that makes me question that more and more and more. And again, when you have a character like the anti-monitor, who is the big bad of crisis, you need to make sure people understand it's not just kind of like, hey, a world exploded because this thing ate it. It is. No, it's we have to see these Earths destroyed and all these things. You can do you can only do a wreckage scene so many times where you see somebody like John Wesley's ship kind of crawl out of a wreckage and like, okay, we're in trouble. It is. I I want to see this have weight and impact. And I think that's the best way to do it. Yeah, I no, I agree with that. And I really like the idea of these being of this being a series, a season long event for these shows. And I can tell you right now, we joked about it. But if that is the case and these are and this is a season long event on all these shows, uh, we have an end date for this podcast. Yeah, um, because I, I really I, don't think we can go m- much further than that. The only thing you could do to continue to top that is like, hey, they have another couple of years of a show and then they do Infinite Crisis. You can't do a crisis every year because it's not going to have weight. And a crisis on Infinite Earths is the big, big, huge piece. The only thing that could, would keep me going is if they said, hey, you know what? We're going to start a Beyond Universe. See you guys then. And yeah, I, I don't see it making sense unless we, you know, again, Batwoman is this amazing thing. And we look at the end of the seasons and we're like, man, we got to keep going because this has reinvigorated us. But I don't see how you can top this. Well, not only that, too, but I mean, there could also be a possibility that shows like Titans and Swamp Thing and everything are just so phenomenally good that we could say, well, we're going to shift our focus. We're going to kind of steer away from the Arrowverse now because Arrowverse has kind of reached their pinnacle and we're going to focus on these other shows. So only time will tell where we're going to go with the podcast. But if we stay focused on Arrowverse and Crisis is done as well as it is, uh, as well as we hope it is. There could be a potentially a potential that the podcast will wrap after that. Yeah, but I mean, um, we're talking over a year away, so uh, only only time will tell when it comes to that. Yeah, uh, the last little piece I had there too in my prediction, I mentioned I, I think we're going to see Batman next year. Um, I think the other piece we're going to see is we're going to see a time jump, and I take, took a little bit of this from TJ, but I also agreed with him. We'll see a time jump where Superman and Lois are in Argo, and uh, it goes through a wormhole or whatever. 
um, eight or nine years pass uh, for them, but not for our court cast in the Arrowverse. And we see Superman, Lois, and a young Jonathan Kent Jonathan. come back in come back in the day to to help save them from everything that's going to happen. That would be cool. That so. would, that would be really really cool. Uh, I think the only question left when it comes to our predictions for Crisis on Infinite Earths are. What shows do we think they're going to involve? I mean, obviously, we're going to get uh, Arrow, Supergirl, Flash, Legends of Tomorrow, and Batwoman. Do we think they're going to bring Black Lightning into the fold at that point? Because um, it is it is technically – it hasn't been acknowledged as part of the multiverse as a different Earth. But they could at that point. It's very possible. I think there's a high chance that they will they will go for broke and Black Lightning will be a part of this too. Do we think shows like Titans could be as well? Because it is Guggenheim. Um, I don't know. I, I think they they wouldn't they might be a little leery to bring those shows in because again that's something that's part of a streaming service versus something that's part of a single network. Yeah, and I think why, that's one of the things that they probably won't do. Uh, I wouldn't be surprised if we maybe get a, an Easter egg or a tease or something like that. But I think the core focus is we're going to see a lot of new and original characters. We may see characters coming back from previous things like Smallville, um, and you know maybe even things like Lois and Clark where they can bring back some of these characters, just like John Wesley Ship. I think we're going to see a lot of John next year, too. Yeah, multiple um, versions. Um, yeah, I do think we're definitely going to see John. Uh, I think we're also going to see a very special Green Lantern uh, in the way of John Stewart, uh, a.k.a. John Diggle Stewart, uh, make his first appearance next year. I think we're going to get a lot of that stuff. I think it's going to be this big culmination of everything that fans have been wanting, hoping for, and praying for since episode one of Arrow started. So I think this is the this is if you're going to go out, go out with a bang. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think you're right. I think I mean, um, that's the way to do it. And you figure, you know, uh, these writers are probably going to be like, look, if we don't survive much longer after this, at least we can say we got this done. Yeah, this is what we wanted to do. And we did it. Uh, all right. So you mentioned Smallville. You mentioned, you know, John Stewart. Uh, Diggle is John Stewart. Let's just dive into some of these Easter eggs because there are a lot of them. And I don't know if we're going to get to all of them. So we'll try and bring up some of our favorites. Um, but I'll, I'll turn it over to you. Like, what were some of your favorite, like, geek out Easter eggs of this crossover? Well, one of them that's not even really as much of an Easter egg. Uh, but one of my absolute favorite moments of this was in episode one when we're on the Kent farm. Uh, and I'm not going to go into the Smallville stuff because that's I want to save that for you. Sir. OK, <laughs> uh, but. There is this great moment where we see Barry and Oliver squaring off in the field. And Oliver's like, I swear, if you're going to shoot me with like, where remote are the arrows, remote arrows? And he's just like, I wouldn't do that. And uh, of course, we see the whole thing start off. And of course, Barry planted the remote arrows, <laughs> letting uh, Oliver get shot in the back twice. I've waited just... four years for this. Exactly. And it was just <laughs> such a wonderfully funny, humorous moment that we saw going back to what was it? Season like what was it? Season one, season two of Flash. I think it's season one of Flash. Yeah. Season one of Flash. What I think where they started the Legends of Tomorrow stuff. Um, but man, that was so great. I loved that because I love the fact that they have decided to bring back a gag that that small but that had that much weight. That was just really funny because even Oliver like, smiled when it happened originally. Uh, but it was just such a great humorous moment. And I love the fact that they brought that that gag back and just 
you know, Barry leaping up and down and just laughing. And it was just, it was a, such a fantastically humorous moment. Uh, but you can imagine, you can imagine Stephen and, and, and Grant just laughing when they read that on the page. For oh the first yeah, time. absolutely. Uh, and just getting a kick out of that idea. And it was just, it was so much fun to watch that, that twist in their friendship. Uh, and it was just, it made me smile and I thought that was perfect. Yeah. So. I, I, and I, you know, and I'll stick to the Kent farm too and mention that Smallville nod because I mean, we had mentioned either like, I think last week or two weeks ago that Amel had tweeted out that there is a Smallville nod that's coming, uh, that even though he hadn't watched Smallville, he still knew what it was and kind of geeked out over it. Uh, and we now know what it was in that, you know, a lot of people were predicting that, oh, they're going to the Kent farm. And my defense of that was, well, we kind of knew that already. We knew they were going to the Kent farm that they used in Smallville and they were filming there. So that's not really a, a big secret. Um, but what it was, was when they use the extrapolator and they go to Earth 38 to visit the Kent farm. It is literally it is literally the opening to Smallville in that Remy Zero Save Me is the music playing as they go through, which let me tell you, I I'm pardon my language here for a second. I geeked the fuck out. Seriously. <laughs> when I heard that music hit and then saw that I saw that overhead shot of it, it is literally because I replayed the opening to Smallville just to compare. It is exactly the same. It is the opening to Smallville. When they are minus the uh, the asteroid coming down, mm-hmm. um, you know, so uh, to do that as a nod to Smallville and then go to the Kent farm where they filmed Smallville uh, was fantastic. It was such a huge nod. And I'm pretty sure that was probably the nod that Stephen was was referring to. That's was awesome. that was that Remy Zero uh, opening. Um. The one of the other big ones for me in because let's do this episode by episode. Yeah, I think that's the best I, way. I, I so we'll, best let's way. let's stay in episode one of this. Uh, for me, there was a moment near the end of this where we do see um, a moment where you know Cisco vibes the monitor and we see Grant or not Grant, sorry, Stephen as the Flash sketch it out what he, this this vision looks like, and it is a, a fantastic drawing of the monitor handing the book of destiny to, you know, Dr. Destiny. Well, John Deegan. Uh, but the great thing is that drawing was done by Jim Lee. So a huge comic artist in DC, uh, DC originally, apparently that sketch was going to be done by George Perez, who originally drew crisis of infinite Earths, but unfortunately due to time constraints, he didn't have time to complete that in time for filming. So, okay. That's a cool nod. I didn't know about that one. Mm hmm. Um, yeah, I think one of one of my other favorite moments from this first episode of The Flash where there were a couple um, meta moments from the show. And by meta, I don't mean metahuman. I mean, like they're making fun of themselves or poking fun of themselves. Um, uh, who's Cicada? Uh, you know, he's our big bad. Uh, Iris calling Cicada their big bad because that's what we call the villains of the series all the time. Um, and the, I think the other one that you and I both agreed with, we were talking about that Monday after or that Sunday after the Supergirl or Flash episode had, had uh, aired was, you know, Ralph by towards the end of the episode when they were going through like there's a huge robot out there like that's trying to, you know, trying to kill us. And he's like, man, it's not even Tuesday. <laughs> Which I thought was fantastic since that's when The Flash usually airs on Tuesdays. I thought that was a great yeah. moment. Oh, yeah. And I love the fact that, too, we we did get Ivo Labs and uh, the Amazo Robot, and which the was Amazo fantastic. Robot, yeah. We do see the Amazo Robot make a return in episode three. Uh, but it was really cool to see them at least throw that in there because the last time we saw that is we saw Dr. Ivo uh, in season one of Arrow. 
where he was one of those people on the ship, and the ship was called the Amazo. So I thought it was a really nice tie, the fact that they actually had Ivo Industries and the Amazo robot in this. I thought thought that was really, really fun. Uh, one of the other pieces when we first see that robot uh, kind of show up is when we see, um, you know, Oliver as the Flash go into, uh, you know, Ivo Industries, and Cisco's talking to him over the comms. And he's like, well, what are you going to do? And it's a, he just kind of clams up. He's like, you have failed this city. <laughs> wonderful, wonderful line. And it has made me smile so much because, again, there was that, you know, confusion and trepidation <laughs> in his voice. But I guess going right to that. And then again, running around, throwing that first lightning bolt. And it was just, whoa, overkill much. <laughs> oh, like, I love the fact, too, when he says you have failed this city. Cisco's like, I don't believe that's your line. Yeah, <laughs> you know what you thought was great. The only okay, so here's a minor criticism I have, and I, I kind of I addressed this to you earlier, and I I'm adding something to it as well, and it, it okay. does pertain to the Amazo robot. Uh, we do see that the Amazo robot is able to scan metahumans and kind of take on their abilities. There is a moment where it scans uh, Ralph and Caitlin as you know, elongated man and Killer Frost recognizes them both as metas and takes on their abilities. It, it is addressed last week in the Flash 100th that Caitlin, that Killer Frost, is not a metahuman. So um, I didn't understand that. And you did kind of explain that a little bit. But again, at the end of the episode, when the Amazo robot does scan the, the rest of the crew as they're fighting him, it scans and recognizes Barry as Green Arrow as a meta. Arrow yes. is not a metahuman. No, and I even mentioned, too, it scans Kara and, and Clark and has them as metas. They're aliens. They're not metas. Yeah. Um, again, this was just an oversight. Um, and again, it's the way that I think they addressed the Amazo Roboto in here. It's kind of like, well, it it, it worked and it didn't work. I think Amazo is itself played off perfectly fine. Uh, they should have said it can copy people's abilities. Yeah. They just left it at that. I think it was their whoever designed that CG probably just didn't think about that. So, yeah, again, and it was so minor that I, I was totally able to overlook it. It was just, you know, again, a minor discrepancy that I had noticed with the, actually, again, I think one of the only ones I noticed of the series again, Easter eggs. So yeah, it's still an Easter egg. It's still, it's kind of like, Hey, you know, one of the things that I think we've seen even in the cartoons where we've seen the Amazo robot try to scan Batman. It just says, uh, it kind of views him as a non-threat cause he's not a meta. Yeah, you know, exactly. and I always thought that was great. And it would have been cool to see them do that here. Yeah, um, I love see the mention of the Bertinelli crime family that we got uh, seeing Grant, even though we know he wasn't really doing it. But seeing his version of Green Arrow attempting the salmon ladder, which is something <laughs> that was always a lot of fun uh, for fans. Um, Stephen waking up, realizing he's not in his bed uh, and his first reaction it was, oh, Barry, what have you done this time? Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> you know, which is, uh, you know, something for, you know, we know that he messes with the timeline. Uh, I, I A couple other things, and I don't want to take away if you have any other Easter eggs from episode one that you wanted to mention. Um, I love the fact that one of the things that fans have always questioned is how come if, you know, there are no toilets in the cells in the pipeline and they finally address that and that uh -huh. it's hidden in the wall. Um and my, which was awesome. I love the fact that they 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 did that. And I think it was funny because I saw more articles about that scene <laughs> than almost any other scene in this entire crossover. Yeah. Um, 
we we know from the scenes in the Kent farm as to why we haven't seen Superman in in Supergirl for a while, uh, and that he has been on Argo with with Lois. Um, and the only other two nods that I have, and I hope I don't steal any of yours if you have more, um, Sherlock giving Superman the alimony check at the end, I thought was hysterical to deliver to one of his wives. Uh, but one of my other favorite moments from this first episode is when Oliver first meets Superman and, (laughs) you know, Barry looks at him, he's like, are you puffing out your chest? (laughs) <laughs> yes and it, yes and i did find out i read more into that there's actually a little bit of real life written into that scene in that the writer who was writing that scene that is actually the first way he felt when he met steven in mm-hmm. that he felt like he he felt like such an intimidating presence in steven that he felt like he kind of had to puff his chest out a little bit to be noticed uh so he kind of wrote that in a little bit into the scene and, and gave it a little bit of fun <laughs> which I thought, which I thought was great. That was awesome. All right, well, let's jump into episode two real quick. Um, so I'm going to start us off with yes. some of my favorite stuff from Arkham, and I'm going to go through a laundry list here because okay. man, oh man, um, you'll so, probably cover a lot of what I have, but uh, it's it's fine because I I'm, I want you to take the lead on this. Sure. So obviously, you know, like I said, we we do get to go to Arkham Asylum, and one of the first things that we do see is when they're actually walking through the hallway. Uh, when they're they first infiltrate this, this they're walking past cells, so we actually go through a list of cells pretty quickly. Uh, so we see the placards for Oswald Cobblepot, uh, Pamela Isley. I think we see Basil Carlos, which is uh, the very first version of Clayface. Mm-hmm. Uh, then we also see uh, Enigma, obviously the Riddler, and then uh, Mark Guggenheim, which was uh, which was fantastic. That I love. That made me of, laugh they, so much. They threw that in there. But one of the other things later that we do see is when Caitlin is squaring off against Nora Freeze, uh, when she uh, Nora is working on trying to assemble uh, her husband's uh, cold gun, uh, we see a shelf and it, it's a blink and if you miss it, but there was a couple great still shots that people captured that there was a lot more items on those shelves that you really could see on screens very clearly. Um, we did see, and we mentioned in the trailer uh, originally like last week that you see the Bane mask from Christopher Nolan's, which was really fantastic that you got to see spotted out there. Uh, but also, uh, it looks like Jim Carrey's staff as the Riddler is there as well. Oh, I didn't uh, see that see, one. You can see it poking out, and you can see it in the background of one of the fights uh, on that same shelving set. Uh, you see a set of chattering teeth that are in a jar. Uh, you also see, um, I think it was uh, the penguin's hat is one of the, um, you see his top hat actually listed there too. So there's a couple other pieces that are really hard to make out. I'm sure if you go through and you, if there's, I really kind of hope that they release this in 4K so I can sit there and go through it frame by frame and see, oh, that's really cool. They threw that in there too. But a lot of nice little nods. And then the last big one for me too was uh, obviously when they first get to Gotham City, when the cops show up and call into the radios to say, we're at the corner of Nolan and Burton. And I'm like, nicely done, yes. guys. A nice nod to Tim Burton and Chris Nolan. So, yeah. Um, uh, there was a couple other things that I not I had noticed, not necessarily from... Um, I mean, did you mention Crane's poison? I didn't. I figured okay. I'd save that one for you. Okay, yeah, we did get, uh, you know, uh, Crane's uh, scarecrow poison in uh, that led to Barry facing Oliver in a really cool scene uh, because we did get to see um, uh, Tom Cavanaugh portray Eobarthon once again. And we saw the return of John Barrowman as Malcolm Merlin, which was a lot of fun. But the interesting thing about this scene was the fact that Barry wasn't facing Eobard and Oliver wasn't facing Malcolm. It was the other way around. Barry was actually facing Oliver's villain and Oliver facing Barry's villain. Uh, 
But mm-hmm. that also led to a better understanding of those two characters understanding each other a little bit better. Yeah, so I it, thought that it worked was really out perfectly. Nice. I thought that was really nicely done where it peels back a layer for for both of them to understand their friendships and who each of them really are. And it, it, I thought that was a really cool part of this this crossover is we see that that layer peeled back a lot further and you see the next layers of understanding of these characters between each other. And I thought that was beautifully, beautifully handled. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, I, another favorite moment from Arkham was when they first went in and it was Kara wheeling in Caitlin and she was describing what her abilities were. It was a great nod to both Victor and um, Nora Freeze in that she says, oh, yeah, we've got a few of those in here like that, you mm-hmm. know, with the ability to freeze. I thought that was a, a, a nice, great fun. Uh, but that's really all I really had as far as Arkham goes. Uh, I did like the fact of when we meet First meet Kate Kane, and they're in Wayne Enterprises. Uh, the Wi-Fi password was Alfred. Yeah. Um, With, you know, they, there's also that other wonderful mention, too, where you get the uh, um, mention that the, one of uh, Bruce's R&D people is still in the building, kind of nodding to Lucius Fox. Or it could potentially also be Luke Fox, uh, which is Lucius's son, which apparently uh, there's a lot of rumblings that Luke, uh, Luke Fox, a.k.a. Batwing, will be one of the people that will be appearing in the uh, the Batwoman series. So pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, and I thought another fantastic nod that really made me smile was seeing the Shakespeare, the Shakespeare bust in a box, because that was not just a nod to Batman. That was a nod to the original, uh, yeah. to the 66 Batman, which I thought was just so nice that they did that. I wanted to make sure to save that one for you because I know how excited I was, but I knew you had to be just, if not more. I was so. seeing that bust. It was so quick, um, but just seeing them you know, pay nod and paying homage to the original Batman was just, man, it was so nice. Um, I think, um, one of the other things I really liked about this episode, and we'll, we'll mention something similar to this in, in part three is I liked how they did the arrow opening, but it was Grant Gustin mm-hmm. portraying arrow Which and was doing the voiceover. That- that brought a big smile to my face. And then we saw that in episode three, too, with uh, John Deegan kind of saying, I am Superman, which was kind of it was it was pretty cool. Yes. Because, again, it was the it was the rewrite of of the Supergirl opening. So, yes, absolutely. Um, the only other things I have about part two, um, I feel like it, we uh, while it was great seeing him again, I felt like we could have gotten more John Wesley ship. But I understand why we got what we got. Um and uh, I did enjoy, you know, the, we mentioned it already, uh, you know, hello, John, you're not wearing your ring was so fantastic to hear. That made me smile knowing. Oh, my God, my jaw was on the floor. <laughs> <laughs> um, and of course, seeing Barry and Oliver as the trigger twins uh, at some at one point at the end. Not only that, but seeing Merlin Diaz and uh, Deathstroke Jr. I forget his actual name. Uh, Joe. Joe. Um, seeing them as the police. And the roles reversed with good guys being bad, bad guys being good. Yeah, I thought that was a nice touch. Um, I, I, th- I thought I had one more in my brain, and I, it's now eluding me. Uh, oh, yeah. Uh, actually, it was, a, again, a very subtle nod to Kate Kane's sexual orientation, too. Kai, she's a little flirtatious with Kara. Um, we, so you see that kind of play off in their uh, back and forth, where you even see kind of Kara uh, get a little flustered. But even one of the other great scenes, though, in episode two is the fact that Kara mentions, well, there's very much a Batman on Earth 38. Mm-hmm. So that was a great nod kind of saying that, yeah, my cousin knows your cousin. And uh, obviously that means, again, we have another Batman that has yet to be seen. And it sounds like he's still very active 
on our 38. So, yeah. uh, all right, let's let's jump into episode three and we can kind of wrap this up and and stuff. Um, uh, and and kind of and then go into news, but uh, yeah, we mentioned already the opening of part two. Part two, uh, part three is being similar, except this time the voiceover is being done by John Deegan, and uh, it, it is him being Superman instead. Um, we got to mention we knew there was a Legends cameo coming into this episode or coming into this crossover. We were making predictions: could be Brandon Routh as Superman, could be uh, you know other ones. I did not expect. In the least, it would be Gary, mm-hmm. which was just so much fun seeing him play the part of the bartender at the bar. Because even though good guys are bad, bad guys are good, Gary is still Gary. Yeah. And here, <laughs> here is something for the eagle-eyed viewers out there that I mentioned that everybody is still wondering a little bit. Maybe, again, it was just a nod, but some people are like, if you want to look into it really deeply, um, Gary's still wearing his Time Bureau pin. Which was kind of interesting in that scene. It goes, um, but that goes into how it could potentially tie into the Legends finale. It could. So we're we're very much. A lot of people are wondering: uh, Does Gary know a little bit more than we're led to believe, or was involved in the crossover more so than we understand? Yeah. Because again, it, he, he's he's rocking a whole bunch of pins, but again, could just be they thought it was just a nice touch. But again, he's very much wearing his Time Bureau pin still. So yeah, um, I want to focus on a couple Superman nods that I noticed. If that's all right. Sure. Um, I, I love the fact of we got a nod to uh, Elseworld Superman being referred to as Bizarro at one point, mm-hmm. uh, which I thought was really cool. Uh, we got a Superman shockwave clap, which was a lot of fun to see, even though it came from Elseworld Superman. Um, but at the same time, like one of my favorite moments from this was seeing I, I thought the whole Superman versus Superman fight aspect was great. And I just loved the fact of when. Earth 38 Superman comes into it. He's he just comes in. He's like, hi, nice suit. And like, mm-hmm. I, I thought that was just it. That was Tyler being Tyler. And I loved it. And, yeah, I, oh, and, just, and just so you know, they uh, the woman actually nodded to uh, the Earth 38 one is Bizarro. So. Oh, well, yeah, because it's she would mm-hmm. she would more know the the Earth. She would more know the Elseworlds Superman as yeah. the actual Superman. Mm-hmm. So but it was cool just hearing bizarro because it was a nice nod to, to Superman. oh yeah it was fantastic uh the whole kara and barry uh circling the earth was a nice nod to superman um in a, in a um, way it, 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 no it was i think mean, it kind of nodded to the fact that superman has had to do it once before um but again with that's that nod to seeing barry potentially almost burn up uh in the way he does in crisis so again this is the second time we've kind of seen that played with uh we saw that back in season two as well of the flash when his uh, his uh, time remnant, I had to think about that for a second because it's a while since we said time remnant anywhere. Um, so his time remnant burns up when he is going up against uh, Zoom. So we see that happen almost again here. Yeah. So. I don't want to take all of them, though. So what are some of the ones that you have for this episode? Uh, for for uh, episode three, man, I'm trying to think if there's any other big ones. I, you know, obviously you mentioned Gary, which was one of my big ones. But I, one of the things I loved was... Uh, James Olsen referring to himself as Superman's worst pal. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I thought that was great, um, too. So I thought that was really fantastic that they threw that little nod in there. But I think, honestly, you know, outside of that, the big piece of, you know, Clark and uh, Lois uh, kind of stating that, you know, since uh, they had some fun on Argo, Lois is pregnant, which is obviously a nod to uh, the fact that uh, she's pregnant with Jonathan Kent which is really awesome, who is the current day, modern day Superboy uh, outside of the Connor Kent clone that we know of. That's the uh, 
the Lex and Clark clone. So I yeah. thought that was really cool that they threw that in there. And you mentioned it before to uh, Clark picking up that piece of charcoal and crushing it into the diamond and uh, asking uh, Lois to marry him at the end of the episode. Obviously, another great classic DC moment. Yeah, I was I was leaving that one for you specifically because I knew you, oh, I, you. I knew you like that one. Oh, um, yeah, I, that was fantastic. Uh, but I think that really is all the big ones. Obviously, again, we see at the very end that that change design for Dr. Uh, Dr. John Deegan. Uh, and we very much see him have that kind of warped white face with all the markations on it looking more like traditional Dr. Destiny and again we get that nice stinger at the end as well as we mentioned before that's the teaser with Psycho Pirate and him having their cells back to back and the build up to the idea of Crisis on Infinite Earths yeah uh, the only I, I just have like two more uh, well, three more real quick. Uh, it was really cool seeing Barry and Oliver actually visit the Fortress of Solitude. Uh, I thought it was cool because it was almost like a mini Justice League uh, at that point. Um, Brainiac saying thank you for including me, uh, which I thought was a great way of kind of like being a little meta in that. Thank you for including him in the crossover. Mm-hmm. Uh, and my the the last one I have and we'll end it on this Uh I think it's a good way to end it is as everybody is saying goodbye, Kara saying to Barry. So this is kind of becoming an annual thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, these things happen every year. Uh, and us as fans absolutely adore it. Elseworlds by far. I, I know I, I can speak for you on this easily. Best crossover they have done yet. Yeah, and I got to say, too, because you mentioned it as well, like bringing up, you know, Brainiac and all. I almost forgot about them in the inclusion of that, even Martian Manhunter. It, it was like seeing the Justice League on screen for the very first time. Yeah, it really, um, really was. Even though we saw a Justice League movie, this felt like the Justice League that um, I've wanted forever. And it, it's happening on the small screen, and it, it made me excited and happy. And as much as I even enjoyed the Justice League movie, uh, this this was awesome. This 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 brought so much joy to me. Yeah, agreed. Um, So, yeah, so next week we're going to start jumping into Titans. But I know uh, before we jump into news, too, we're going to have I think you're going to get two episodes from us between now and next week in that you're going to get the regular one from us next week. But uh, Rob and I are actually going to be attending a screening of Aquaman. I know some of you out there may have already seen it because there was a special screening uh, this past Saturday night uh, brought to you by Amazon Prime uh, through Adam Tickets. So I know some friends who have actually got the chance to see it before us. Yeah, because we haven't seen it yet. You and I are going to be attending a screening this Monday, which would be tomorrow night at the time we're recording. Um, We're going to do something from outside of the theater as we usually do. And we're going to do, I think this is the spoiler free or spoiler full. No, this is the spoiler full. And it's going to be short. It probably will be no more than 15 or 20 minutes uh, because both of us will probably be wanting to go home. (laughs) So afterwards, Uh, I'll be probably go. I'll be going right from work to, to, to meet you. So, yeah. And this is probably going to be something that you'll probably see pop up on the feed i think probably tuesday morning uh is when you'll see it and i think we might even have a guest joining us in that i am actually giving craig Lagans a ride to and from the theater so i figure he's been a guest he's been a guest with us before he talked wonder woman with us when we attended that screening uh if you're all right with it why not just have him join us for the aquaman one too Absolutely. And we'll, we'll, we'll pile into a car or do it outside, but yeah, we'll, we'll, we'll be doing it probably off of cell phones and such. So it'll, well, I have microphones that plug into my phone. Oh, too, that's so right. That's right. We'll, you've, you've got, you, you've got that one. So we'll, we'll do it that way, but yeah, don't expect a, a hour long thing or anything like that. Again, probably 15, 20 minutes maximum. Yeah. Uh, and, uh, but yeah, I'm super excited. I can't wait. And just, and, and uh, just to preface that too, do not listen to this until you've seen the movie. 
because this is going to be the spoiler full uh, uh, review. We'll do a spoiler free one next week when we talk about Titans. Yeah. And then we'll just remind you all, hey, go back and listen to, you know, if you want all the spoilers, check out the other one on the feed. Yes, exactly. Uh, Let's jump into some DC news. All right. So there's a fair amount here, but nothing too, too crazy. Um, Like I said, I'm going to try to tear through this as quickly as I can. But we did find out officially that Warner Brothers has confirmed the Plastic Man movie that we did rumor last week. So it sounds like they are talking about developing that film with a big wait and see. Obviously, there's no timing on this. There's no you know writer or director or anything associated. It's just kind of being in the works. So we'll I'm sure hear about that more down the road. But again, this could just be a project they're thinking of with no confirmation. There's some mixed Moving, re- there's some mixed reviews on this too. I've been seeing on our Facebook page. Yeah, but you know what? Like I said, if they can do it right, why not? There's nothing wrong with it. But again, sure. I know a lot of people. Even somebody even stated, well, essentially everybody's going to look at this as like, hey, look, it's uh, Scott Lang's character from Ant Man, and essentially, unfortunately, it's kind of true. So I like Scott Lang and Aquaman and Ant Man. I do. I do, too. But it's the downside of you're going to have a villain or a, a criminal reform into a hero. True. And a lot of people are there's going to they're going to see a lot of that kind of tied together. But it's a little bit of that and a little bit of Deadpool. So it's a wait and see, too. All right. Jumping over to the Birds of Prey, we have found out we have two additional pieces of casting. Ali Wong, the comedian, is going to be joining into the ranks of the uh, GCPD alongside Renee Montoya. But in addition to that, Robert uh, Katrini is going to be also cast, and his role has been kept under wraps. So we don't know too, too much about that yet. Katrini's been in G.I. Joe Retaliation, Jack Reacher, Never Go Back, and uh, I think Rizola in the Isles. So we'll see a little bit more, I'm sure. Give it a couple weeks, and we'll probably find out. Jumping into some animated stuff for DC, while we're not announcing any new animated features, the next one to come out will be The Reign of Superman, but we have found out officially that DC Universe's streaming service is now going to be releasing those animated films day and date with their Blu-ray releases. So that means we will still see those digital releases come out first, but the same day they would normally hit Blu-ray, they'll now also be on DC streaming. So, which is fantastic for those of you that uh, want another way to check them out and are trying to ditch physical media. Jumping into some DC Universe-related news, we do have a little bit to talk about as car, uh, concerning Titans, which Ben mentioned before. We are going to be continuing on and starting back with Episode 1 through Episode 3 next week. But uh, we have found out a little bit of nods alongside the trailer for the finale of Titans, which appears that we may see glimpses of people like Two-Face, the Riddler, and potentially the death of the Joker is a, p- a potential as well. But not only that, we will also be seeing a lot of Batman. Uh, Batman looks like he's going to be the big bad of this, and I'm kind of excited to see that. I am play too. That. I am too. Uh, so, yeah, it's a big win to see. Um, So we'll be seeing that uh, in episode 11. I believe actually episode 12 is actually the finale finale with uh, them going up against Trigon. So so there could be a little mixed messaging on that. We're not entirely sure. So I do apologize if we have that information wrong. We did mention before Titans is 12 episodes. This is saying that the season finale is episode 11, which is Batman versus Robin. So not quite sure. So I'm sorry if we if it's 11 episodes or 12. Again, a lot of confusion on that across the Internet. 
Uh, but if you want to check out that trailer, you can check out that Titans finale trailer on our Facebook page. That's facebook.com slash DC primetime. Jumping into some other stuff, DC Universe has also stated a reminder of what their upcoming schedule is. So as they mentioned, Titans is about to wrap, but Young Justice will be kicking off in January 2019. Doom Patrol in February 2019. Swamp Thing in May 2019. Stargirl in August of 2019. And then Harley Quinn, October 2019. So uh, a lot to come from DC Universe. So now is the time to subscribe. And we do not make money off of saying that. (laughs) All right. Jumping into some Stargirl casting. We have a lot that happened this week. Excuse me. Uh, So Brian Stapp has been officially cant as Ted Grant, a.k.a. Wildcat. So very exciting to see that his character is joining into the fray. Uh, Stapp has... uh, Previously uh, has been on things like The Walking Dead, House of Cards, Valor, and The Purge. Um, so, again, we know that they're going to be padding out that round uh, roster of the JSA. Uh, we found out an additional two other members joining. The next being Lou Ferrigno Jr. being cast as our man also as part of the JSA. Uh, so really excited to see that, especially uh, the son of such a legend. Uh, and our actually hearts go out to him right now. Lou Ferrigno apparently is going through a lot of major health things. So keep him in your thoughts. Oh, that's a shame. I didn't know. Yeah, that was just announced, I believe, just yesterday. So um, and uh, last but not least, Starman has been cast by none other than Community's own Joel McHale. Love this uh, so much. And just so you are aware, this is the Sylvester Pemberton version of the character. Uh, not originally Starman, actually recently uh, originally played the Star Spangled Kid. Uh, so this is not the Jack Knight version. That I know that a lot of people hold near and dear, but I'm looking forward to seeing what Joel McHale takes to this role of Starman. So really excited to check that out. Uh, jumping into a little bit about Swamp Thing, uh, we actually found out that another classic DC character is in getting added into the mix, and that is Blue Devil, played by none other than Sharknado star Ian Ziering, also previously from 90210. Uh, but I think he is going to make a perfect, perfect person to play the Blue Devil character. So looking forward to seeing that play out as well. Uh, jumping into some TV stuff, uh, as far as Elseworlds is concerned, apparently this show, this crossover was originally going to have a completely different name. Originally, they were going to call this Identity Crisis because of the ob- obviously idea of the uh, the characters having the the mental swap, that Freaky Friday, if you will. But it, they decided to go against it because of what Identity Crisis originally brought to the comics. That was a much more serious story with a lot of serious ramifications for a lot of people. But again, it ties into people like Ralph Divney's character very heavily and Batman. So they thought that it wasn't the right fit. And they decided to go with Elseworlds instead. So it's pretty cool that they, uh, they did have that in mind. But again... You know, obviously, after Elseworlds, we'll have Crisis on Infinite Earths. Jumping into a couple small things uh, on the Arrow side of the world, uh, they did say officially that Beth Schwartz stated that John Diggle's story as Green Lantern is a officially to be continued. <laughs> so that is a big, big nod, though more than likely, again, we'll see that maybe play out next year. Um, as we mentioned before, would not be surprised to see that play. So uh, jumping into Black Lightning, we did see our first official shots of Jennifer Pierce dressed up as lightning. And you can see those pictures over again at our Facebook page. Again, one more time, facebook.com slash DC primetime. And last but not least, it sounds like we will be finding out a lot more about Nora Allen's alliance with Eobard Thawne in The Flash coming up when the show returns. It sounds like we will be finding out all about that through some flashbacks that will be happening as the series progresses. So look for that when Flash returns in January. And that is it for the news. Cool. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm really excited for that Joel McHale casting because I 
I still to this day will go back and uh, rewatch episodes of Community all the time. So I still love that. I still adore that show. I do too. Still one of my favorites. Yep, absolutely. Uh, cool. So uh, we'll do some cheap plugs. My only recommendation this week is uh, just rewatch Elseworlds. That's uh, that's the really only thing I can recommend. Oh, and make sure you're caught up on Titans or at least uh, the first three episodes of Titans. Since, as I've mentioned and Rob just mentioned recently as well, that is what we are going to be covering on next week's podcast is uh, – Jumping into Titans with the first three episodes. So, um, yeah, watch watch Elseworlds and make sure you're caught up with the first three episodes of Titans. Yep. Uh, yeah. So super looking forward to it. So, uh, yeah, big, big episode next week. Like I said, episodes one through three of Titans and our spoiler free review of Aquaman. Again, uh, Tuesday, you can check out our spoiler filled uh, discussion with Craig Lagans, myself and Ben. So yeah, that is going to be an awesome week. So, yeah, man, uh, what an awesome, awesome, fantastic week this was. Yeah, it re- it really it really was. Uh, what a way to kind of wrap up the seasons and wrap up the year with these with these shows. Uh, yeah, and I do apologize. My voice is starting to go because of how much we talked. <laughs> so yeah, but you know what? I knew we were going to have a lot to say about Elseworlds. I I, I knew we were going to have a lot to talk about. So. I could go another thirty or forty minutes, but I don't think my voice can. So uh, yeah, <laughs> so. Uh, I, I agree with that too. I, I could probably go for a little while longer. Um, but um, we definitely want to hear what you guys have to say about Elseworlds. I know we put a, a post out there before uh, that you could leave us feedback and. If you didn't get an opportunity to leave us your feedback about Elseworlds or Legends of Tomorrow or anything else or even Aquaman or anything like that, uh, you still can. And if you if you leave it for us, we'll definitely still read it on next week's podcast as well. Uh, you can do that by sending us an email to DC Primetime at nextlevelradioonline.com or you can send us to a you can send it to us directly by messaging us on Facebook Um at the Facebook page, facebook.com slash DC Primetime. Uh, you can, of course, uh, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at DC Primers. And I th- think that's about it. Yeah, uh, you can also find me at nextlevelradioonline.com through the Captain Crew cast of pods. Uh, we just did our last episode this past Monday. Uh, that should be up, I believe, either Monday night or Tuesday morning. So keep your eye out for that. We did a split episode. So. The first half, we pay some tribute to the one and only Mel Brooks. And then the second part of the episode, we do our 2018 year in review and entertainment. So if you're looking for some recommendations between games, um, board games, uh, and I think television and films, this is your place to do it. So, yeah. And that was a lot of fun. I was a part of that one, too. And uh, it was a lot of fun both talking about the year uh, over uh, as a review and uh, geeking out on Mel Brooks. And there was a lot of Mel Brooks movie quoting throughout the course of that first half, which was a lot of fun. Indeed. So, uh, But that's going to wrap it up for this week. Once again, next week, uh, look for Tuesday, our spoiler full review of Aquaman. If you have not seen the movie, please wait to watch it because we don't want to ruin it for you. Uh, and then next week, we'll talk about the first two, three episodes of Titans as well as a spoiler free review of Aquaman. But until that time, we will see you guys around the bend. Take care. Peace. Peace.